yourself and one for your dreams you drift through the years and life seems tame to one dream appears and love is its name and welcome to Double of Seven, a James Bond podcast. We are back for another week to discuss everyone's favourite film series that has 23 films in it, the one that we never talk about ever again. We are here to talk about the fifth film in the James Bond series, uh, You Only Live Twice, uh, from 1967, directed by Lewis Gilbert. Uh, Watashi wa Noah-san. Hello, I'm Ben, <laughs> and <laughs> I don't know Japanese. <laughs> and I'm Colin, and I have a roly-poly bird making a nest in my bear tree. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've been practicing up on my Japanese just for that wonderful intro. Um... <laughs> <laughs> you put me on the spot there. You had like this great Japanese, and I'm like, I don't know any. <laughs> just learned from Sean Connery. Ah, hey, Gazema. So obviously, we are in Japan. Well, we are in Japan, but we will be talking about Japan. Um, you Only Live Twice, 1967, as I said, the first film directed by Lewis Gilbert for, for James Bond, um, the third director so far, uh, written by Lord Twit himself, Roald Dahl, which is uh, fun because he was friends with Fleming, so there's a little connection there, um, those two twits. And, yeah, the follow-up to the esteemed Thunderball um, so we should jump into it as we always do with the general thoughts on the film and i will say for myself this was not one i was overly looking forward to like thunderball the original trilogy is always been my favorite then it takes a bit of a nosedive before we get to lazenby um (laughs) and i have to say i was kind of pleasantly surprised it's the last time i watched this was 2012 which isn't too far away but I've seen a lot of the other ones more recently, so it has been a bit of time. And it's not a brilliant film, but I had a lot of fun with it. Um, A lot of notable things. There's definitely some cons to talk about, but it went by quite fast, and I really enjoyed it anyway. I think I mentioned it at the end of Thunderball. I, I don't think I've seen this movie since I was in high school. It's been so long. I always forget this movie exists, and I always forget this movie is a Sean Connery one. I always, for some reason, think this was a Roger Moore, James Bond film. And it's it's very interesting, because it, it's got so many good bits, it's got so many bad bits, and it's just, it's it's a bit all over the shop, and it's I think compared to Thunderball, which we said was too long, and there were scenes that were you know, a little bit dragged out. I think this was the opposite. There was, see, it just went so quickly, like, boom, 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 we're into it. And, I mean, that was a good thing in bits, and I think a bad bit in bits, but it was an enjoyable rewatch. It was one that I probably should have watched a lot sooner than, uh, you know, 12 years or however long it's been. But I will just quickly say that, uh, given the fact that I've probably watched the Austin Powers movies a lot more in the last 12 years than I have You Only Live Twice, they ruin 
uh, this movie <laughs> because I don't think I took any of the Blofeld scenes at the end seriously without thinking of number two, Mr. Bigglesworth. Um, but we'll get to that. I don't now. think even Mildred in the 60s was taking Blofeld seriously. I'm not oh, sure Mildred always to takes Blofeld. We'll get to Mildred. She she loves Blofeld. Yeah, it's been uh, not long since I've seen this. I, just before we started covering Dr. No, I rewatched You Only Live Twice. So my opinion uh, is pretty fresh on this. But watching it again, I just had more problems with it than I've ever had before. And funny enough, when... I first got into Bond movies, I always tried to save some of the good ones for last, uh, or at least what I understood were the good ones. So I think the last two Bond movies I ever saw were You Only Live Twice and The Spy Who Loved Me. And the reason for that is because <laughs> at the time, good. like a little, yeah, uh, <laughs> but at the time about, you know, a little over 10, 12 years ago, maybe, everybody loved You Only Live Twice. And whenever you'd look up lists of the greatest Bond movie, You Only Live Twice at the top. And I watched the movie even 12 years ago and I'm like, why i don't understand it's just it's there's so many areas where there is some great stuff as ben said going on in this movie but this movie is a mess and uh, i would argue i'm not a defender of die another day but i would argue that this movie is just (laughs) as ridiculous as die another day it has just as many problems as die another day and i'm hoping we're going to be able to cover most of my issues with this but Overall, it's still a fun movie to watch. And as I said, I went back and rewatched this only about uh, two months ago just because one day I'm like, yeah, I feel like watching You Live Twice. So it's not like there's ever a bad Bond, but oh, this is going to be a fun one. Just really quickly to interrupt Noah, can I just point out in the last two of our uh, movie recaps, it has been Colin Hilding who has brought up Die Another Day before Ben Waterworth. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm bringing yeah. it up. In the negative sense, though, that's the difference between. <laughs> still mentioned, still mentioned. That means I can play this intro. Yeah, yeah, right. Sorry. <laughs> I feel like there are three occasions um, in Bond history where it just goes so overboard and so grand and so ridiculous, and it always the series always has a way of course correcting itself. Um, after this one, we had Honor Majesty's Secret Service, which was much more grounded. Then after Moonraker, we had um, For Your Eyes Only, which was much more grounded. And then we had the film that preceded Casino Royale, which was ridiculous. <laughs> and then that film was much more grounded. So I feel like from Doctor No onwards, we've just been building up to this absolute ridiculous. And I say that kind of in a good way, but... Um, you definitely notice Lewis Gilbert's uh, differences in directorial styles anyway, and I will say that this one is the most straying away from the books so far out of the first five, and I think Colin would back me up there. It's much different to the book, and I think that's where a lot of the problems lie in this film is because they didn't go on that basis of the book. The fascinating... The only... Oh, yeah, go ahead. Okay, if you insist. Um, <laughs> you know more about the book than I do, so please. <laughs> the only one other... of you's read it, one of you hasn't. Let's go with the one who's read it. <laughs> the only other movies that are even close to this far away from the books are Spy Who Loved Me and Moonraker, and those Moonraker. were Lewis Gilbert as well. And I think that Lewis Gilbert, what he brings to the series is that he understood how to do these giant set pieces better than anybody else, and that's where You Only Live Twice really succeeds. And that's where Spy Love Me and Moonraker really succeeded. But 
it's so strange you have to think looking at the bond movies at the time you know terrence young had had some success but he wasn't a well-known director same with guy hamilton Louis Gilbert was coming off of an Academy Award nominated movie. He'd made several very respectable movies. And then he jumps into this and he makes an absolute mess of a movie where you're wondering, like, this almost comes across like it's a, some inexperienced director making it who knows nothing about plot and nothing about continuity. And he had just made a movie called Alfie with uh, Michael Caine that was nominated for like a half dozen Academy Awards. And it's just a mystery to me how he could uh, make this one almost in such a lazy way uh, after doing several good movies like HMS Defiant, Alfie. Like These are famous movies he made before uh, You'll Live Twice. The good Alfie. They remade it, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah okay. but Alfie was of, my game. A lot of it has to do with Roald Dahl as well because I was reading on the trusted source of Wikipedia earlier tonight that... Um, Roald Dahl called uh, You Only Live Twice the worst Fleming book and that it was more like a travel log than an actual book and that there was no way he could write a film script based on it. And they were supposed to be friends, so if I was Fleming, I would slap um, old Roald there. Not that Fleming was alive. Yeah, (laughs) Roald Prick. um, (laughs) So I think a lot of that had to do with Roald Dahl and what he was trying to do, but... I was just going to say before that it fascinates me to think that Raoul Dahl is involved in the James Bond film series. You know, I mean, we, we every child, I think, in the world has um, grown up with Raoul Dahl somewhere. And, I mean, you know, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Matilda, you know, James and the Giant Peach, the, the BFG, the Twits. Um, <laughs> I, I never heard of that until about an hour ago. But anyway, um, I mean, there's these such iconic, you know, children's books that to, to sort of... Um, I mean, I'll be absolutely honest with you. I had no idea Roald Dahl, I can't even say his name properly, um, did the screenplay for this until, you know, we were about to do this episode. So I think um, he wanted to change a lot of the script. He should have changed it uh, from You Only Live Twice to James and the Giant Bitch. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a more apt title. James and the Racist Movie. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know... This this movie really feels like Roald Dahl. I mean, <laughs> if you're a fan of his stuff, and there's nothing wrong with his books. I mean, everybody's no, read them. Not. Everybody knows the movies. But it's it's, it is not something that needs to fit into James Bond. And there's some areas where he really did make this a proper Bond movie and other areas, which I have lots to talk about on how this feels like a Roald Dahl story. But it's just, I think the bigger issue here is uh, we haven't, I can't believe we're five movies in and we haven't even mentioned this name, but Richard Maybaum, who's the main scriptwriter for all the classic Bond movies, from Dr. No to License to Kill. You know, there's various screenwriters they had over the years uh, in all the movies, but the one consistent thing was that they would always have Richard Maybaum involved. So either Maybaum would write the first draft and somebody would rewrite it, or Maybaum would come in and rewrite what somebody else did. And there's only two times of everything from Doctrine or License to Kill where Richard Maybaum wasn't involved. You Only Live Twice is the first, and Moonraker is the second. And <laughs> that, that explains a lot. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and it's missing that Richard Maybaum classy Bond touch to it. And I think if they had just had him come in and look at Roald Dahl's script and say, these things work, these things don't, and let me touch it up a bit, I think this could have been a really great movie. I just want to think... say, it was missing Oompa Loompas. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think uh, Die Another Day was definitely missing that Richard Maybaum touch. I thought you meant to say Die Another Day was missing Oompa Loompas too. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would have made it for a better film, that's for sure. <laughs> um, Oompa Loompa Oompa Loompa um, Anyway. Die uh, Another Day. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we get into you only live twice? I'm never doing that again. Um, oh, so itsy. Yeah. So, starting with the pre-title sequence, and uh, <laughs> have to say, we were getting so good with Goldfinger and from Russia with Love for these pre-title sequences. For this. But anyway, we have the spaceship, and we have Chris the astronaut, um, the Jupiter 16 swallowed by this other unknown... Um, Ship, and then we had this the snow meeting. Was it like Geneva or something? I'm not sure if it said exactly where they were. And uh, you had all these big shots from the around the world. Soviet people are nice people. Um, <laughs> you had we are people loving uh, nation, sure. You yeah, are that John Reese Davies type guy. Um, the guys' thoughts on the whole spaceship and this meeting? It's um. A credit to 1960s movie special effects that we had a floating toy um, in space. <laughs> <laughs> just have to I point that out. I was going to say a discredit because 2001 A Space Odyssey would come out, what, the same year or a year after? And One year these later. These effects aren't brilliant. Yes. Aren't brilliant is an understatement. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag aren't brilliant. I, I mean, I... I did it. I mean, it's sort of it's elaborate. It's different, you know. Bond in space. Well, Bond's not there, but it's like a Bond film, sort of having this space. And you, you got obviously the context of the times. You know, I mean, 1967. We were two years away from man landing on the moon. I mean, everybody was obsessed with space um, in the 60s, and the, sort of the fight between um, Russia and and the USA to get to the moon first. So it was relevant. Um, so I'm sure that's that drew a lot of people. But this top point that wasn't in the book. So this wasn't in the book? Nothing no, in this movie was in the book. <laughs> right, okay, well, this is where I'm learning too, that none of the space stuff was in the book. All right, so really adapting to the times. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, it, it, it was, I mean, this is, I think, the opening sequence sums up the whole movie. It's just, you've got so much going on. Like, we're in space, it's getting eaten, we're in a room, Russia's peace-loving nation, there's a man in Hong Kong, we've got Bond getting shot. I mean, how many movies now in a row have we had Bond dying in the opening sequence? Um, it's just... There's plenty more to come. There's just so much happening before we even get to the to the opening credits. And it's, it's just, again, yeah, sums up the movie. I, I didn't mind it, but... It's just, I think they needed to scale it back a little bit because it's almost like Bond getting killed is just like, it's really random. It's kind of, in a way, pointless to what we've just seen with the whole space situation. And yeah, it just, it was a bit messy, if that is a way of summarizing what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I don't think that there's too much going on here in this opening sequence because. If we look at some of the future movies, I mean, they all do this. Uh, Live and Let Die did this sort of three storylines introduced in three minutes. Um, the one that I do think works is the space stuff, despite the effects. Uh, just because, especially the first time I saw this, like, for me, growing up, I was always huge into space. And I've read so many books on the space race and NASA and everything. 
So I loved watching this the first time, and still to this day, seeing a spaceship swallow another spaceship. I could have done without the one British actor putting on a bad American accent that mispronounced <laughs> Houston as Houston. Houston! But <laughs> other than that, this makes yeah, pretty Miami and Houston. <laughs> and he's so but, bored looking, isn't he? And he's like in his weird checkered flannelette shirt. And he's just like, hello, Houston. Hello, Houston. He's bored. I mean, the, the problem with this opening sequence is how bored Sean Connery is. I mean, he's, he's sitting there talking about why do Chinese girls taste different. And you could just tell from the very first words that come out of his mouth how bored he was making this movie. And that's so much of the problem of this movie is just that Sean Connery has no enthusiasm. And that's the one thing that people have really turned around on is I think that for decades, people were kind of blinded by Sean Connery's the greatest. They didn't look back and realize that his later films, this and diamonds are forever, how lazy he really was in portraying James Bond. But if this had any hope of working, it was sunk the second that Sean Connery spoke his first lines. <laughs> I feel like what they should have done was opened up with a mission, kind of like Skyfall, where Bond dies, or not really dies, but gets well, shot, have the title sequence, and then open up with the space stuff straight after the title sequence. I think that would have been a better progression. But um, speaking of Bond getting shot, uh, we as the color to women's uh, girls taste different to other girls. Um, <laughs> and... <laughs> Bond stating the obvious here. Peking duck is... Oh, thanks. Really? Um, <laughs> is that mildly racist? Well, it's just... Um, isn't that just saying, like, hamburgers taste very different to curry? Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. Um, and then we have Ling there pushing the bed up. <laughs> it's just... Uh, the goons coming straight in as soon as the bed goes up and killing Bond. Um, and I love the line, well, at least he died on the job. You'd be happy about that. <laughs> and they're so quick, aren't they? They're like, oh, he's just died. Oh, he come, everybody. Just check in. Like, that is the quickest reacting police service ever. Yeah. My question is, they said that Bond died on the job. Was Bond on a mission or were they referring to Bond in bed with a woman as the job? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really nailed that job. <laughs> I, I have a question to quickly ask. Like, with those fold-up beds, and maybe it's a Hong Kong thing. I've never been to Hong Kong, I don't know. But usually I assume those beds are like that but to save space because there's not a lot of space so that, you know, in the wall folds out. That room was fucking huge. Why did it need a fold-up bed? Well, the bigger question is... is is Sean Connery really as light as a feather that the bed would shoot up like <laughs> and that? And wouldn't he get crushed anyway? You know, who gives a shit about the guns? Like, is he just not going to get squashed? <laughs> yeah. But, uh, so obviously we know Bond died. Did anyone ever think watching this that it wasn't something to do with MI6, that something else was going on, or is this just like, whatever, move on with it? Well, I'm still... I mean, I know why he faked his death. It's explained. But it's so poorly done, if that's the way I can put it. Like, it's it's just... If, if the whole point of the mission was for him to be dead to investigate it rather than, oh, that will get some people off your back for a while. Well, not really. It didn't last for that long. Like, it just... I mean, do they sit around one time like an MI6 board and, you know, Tim's just like, I know, James. Let's kill you. <laughs> I'm getting sick of these people going after you. Let's kill you and see how it happens. Like, well, the, the other thing is, I know it's 
some things in movies should be left up to the the magic of your imagination. But what about the logistics of this? Like, uh, he got shot. Like, can we? Can uh, we? We'll get to the logistics. I feel when we get to the burial at sea bit. Like, there's a whole <laughs> element to that 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 there just is. There's a massive gap in how the hell that happened. Yeah, we'll get to that. But Colin, uh, Bond getting killed. I think if you watch the the making ofs, they mention that all the you know the um, media covering this and what a big deal Bond was, like coming off of Goldfinger, which was like the Bond craze at its peak, and then Thunderball, which was the highest grossing Bond ever. There was so much fanaticism about it, and there's a moment in the making of where they're talking about all these rumors that they were in the press. And I think that they were rumors they intentionally leaked because all of them tie back to things they include in this movie. Like they say, Bond's going to get married in this movie. Bond's going to become Japanese. Bond's going <laughs> to die. And Bond's going to go into space. All those things. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure what they did was they said, let's come up with these outrageous things and let's leak it to the press. And then we'll tack it into the movie so when people see it, like all these rumors be floating around, then they're like, oh, that must be what they meant when they said Bond died. Oh, that's what they meant when <laughs> they said Bond goes into space or whatever. And I'm pretty sure that these were all just teases that were meant to tie into the promotion of the movie. And it really does feel that way because the explanation behind Bond being dead makes no sense. And we'll have lots to talk about later on about how this is, I think, the biggest plot hole in the entire Bond franchise. Well, one thing that really irks me about it is, you know I've mentioned in the past my hate for them feeling the need to explain the film's title. Mm-hmm. The only reason James Bond got this movie is called You Only Live Twice. <laughs> that is the reason why, so they can explain the damn title. They've dedicated the whole pre-title sequence. Mm-hmm. So... Um, uh, we'll touch on it more because it, it definitely comes up later with some plot holes to do with uh, the film and Bond supposedly being dead. But Can I ask a quick question in regards to the book? Does he die in the book? Well, no, he, uh, he doesn't. <laughs> he kind of assumes another identity. There's We don't want to spoil it too much for people who are in it, but the ending sort of ties into whether or not James Bond is dead, you yeah, know, right. but not... Yeah, it's, it's kind of hard not to explain. the start of You Only Live Twice, he's not dead. Okay. Yeah. Right. Just this is pretty much all up. new stuff here. Sure. Uh, well, 90% of this is all new stuff. 80, maybe. Um, People who haven't read the book, like jump... me, you're welcome. We've had it explained. <laughs> <laughs> you're the voice of the people who haven't read the book. I am. Ben. I speak for those who have not read books. <laughs> you speak for the illiterate. <laughs> <laughs> illiterate power. Yeah. Ben's uh, reading let's... skills are still at the twit level, so he has enough <laughs> to the <laughs> He's still reading James Bond Jr. comic books. So. <laughs> hey, they're difficult. <laughs> All right, title sequence. Um, we came so far in Thunderbolt with the intro, the pre-title sequence. That, like, that one is one of the best still today and coming off uh, the earlier ones. But this stock footage of volcanoes for two minutes, um, followed by a song, and I know it's going to make me sound like I just hate on all the early songs based on these episodes, but I really do not like this one. Um, I find it boring and slow, and the lyrics that are just repeated over and over, and 
it's kind of like from Russia with Love for me. I loved the instrumental version, couldn't stand the singing version. The score for this film is amazing when they use the main theme within the action sequences and the film, but the actual Nancy Sinatra one, uh, it's not for me. Yeah, I'm actually familiar. I'm, this is one of my least favourite songs. Um, I love the... Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I love that bit. That's great. And yeah, you're right. When they use it in the film, it's just it fits so well with the scenery and everything along those lines. But I mean, yeah, I'm just not a fan of this song. And I have nothing against Nancy Sinatra. I mean, you know, these boots are made for walking, Nancy. That's She's just what they'll voice. do. It's She's just... great. Nancy Sinatra is fantastic. But yeah, and, and the lyrics are just, you know, you only live twice, so it seems. One life for yourself and one for your dreams. Okay, cool. <laughs> That's the whole song there. It's, it's like the Pitbull School of and Rhyming. And a stranger, yep. and here comes danger, or something like that. This dream is for you, so pay the price. Why are you paying the price for your dream? Make one dream come true. You only So you're paying the price for one dream, and then one dream comes true. <laughs> rhyming. Yeah, I, I, I don't get it, Um, but... Yeah, Lonely it's... live by three blind mice. <laughs> yes, <laughs> three blind mice <laughs> standing in a row. <laughs> um, <laughs> and there they go <laughs> underneath the mango tree. And what um, about the volcanoes? Stop yeah, no, yeah. Look, yeah, the song not my favourite. Um, I've written here for the notes. Credits volcano nipples. I don't know if anybody noticed uh, nipples on the silhouette girls. I, I certainly did. We get a zoom in on, on a brooch, and we get, like, the fan graphics, which must have been fantastic for 1967 computer technology. Um, but, yeah, volcano stock footage. I reckon they've been sitting on that for a while. Like, when can we use a volcano in a Bond movie and mix it with space? Um, but, yeah, no, uh, I agree with everything basically you said. Yeah, I... I actually like the idea of these opening titles. Uh, not having silhouettes for a change, you see a, see a real person in it, having a volcano, like those are cool ideas, but the fact that it is stock footage really shows in the quality. And we're coming off of these incredible swimming silhouettes that we saw in Thunderball, and now we have this grainy footage of a volcano eruption. It, it would have been great had they been able to film this and it wasn't all worn out in the quality. The song really is the problem here. I think that if this song had just had maybe a little bit more life to it, it would be better. If this was something like Goldfinger, I mean, nothing against slow songs, but let's be honest, this song is just a lullaby. That's yeah. the only way I could describe it. It's a <laughs> lullaby. And it doesn't really fit with Bond. And I agree that the John Barry parts of this, where they use the score in the song, is incredible. And that's why so much of this works better as a score. But even the song itself, like I'm going to have some complaints later on about when the instrumental version of this is used. <laughs> I just don't think it fits the movie at all. And it's definitely one of my least favorite Bond themes. Can I just quickly ask oh. both of you, Die Another Day or You Only Live Twice as a song? You Only Live Twice. Only live twice. Oh, good fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to disagree slightly. Uh, there were some inappropriate uses of it in the film, but I loved it when it popped up in the film. I find when they use the Goldfinger theme, they use it so many times. I feel like they use it in the right spots for the most part in this film, and it's not constantly down, 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 through the entire film. But 
Yeah. Um, it's not random. Up. It's not Doctor No, where every chance they get to use a ding, 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 ding. James Bond oh. on the toilet. Ding, 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 ding. We'll get to that. They use it in the perfect place for yeah. this film. I agree. With the harbour and the newspaper, which another problem. Oh. Page news. Big picture. Commander James Bond dead. <laughs> So, just adding to the plot holes that we will jump into, and we are at James Bond's funeral, and the body out to see, uh, good to see the money petty and them showed up to the funeral, not, um, <laughs> come on Q, you're not that busy, what's, what's Felix doing, come on, bloody cesspool, Linda, get to the funeral, um, and down into the... And, um, into the sub with the breathing machine. Um, is there anything we can add on James Bond's funeral? This is just a joke. <laughs> <laughs> like this whole time, I'm like, yeah, okay. So clearly, it's just like a you know a, a, an empty <laughs> coffin or something, and he's just like gonna pop up. He's the one reading the newspaper or something like that. We get it. <laughs> he's in that thing. He's been in it the whole time in a suit. He's got a breathing mask. So what, like, Undertaker or Paul Bearer has allowed him to wear a mask whilst they've embalmed him? Like, there's a process involved from getting a dead body. I mean, the police would have had to, like, you know, do a crime scene and check everything. He's a member of, like, you know, the Secret Service, the government. There's, like, uh, like how? How, how, how? It couldn't have been MI6 because then the whole ploy of him dying would be not valid because MI6 would just hide him. They would have to go through all the formality. Well, it's just... Uh, well, true. So, I mean, there's just... Who is involved in this funeral? They've got the worst, like, uh, funeral directors in the world in Hong Kong. If they allow... Oh, let's just give him a mask and <laughs> put him in, like, this <laughs> random... You wake up. Yes, and the the one bit that gets to me, and I don't know how submarines work, so please, if you either of you know how submarines work, and if we've got a submarine no, technician, the bit where they the divers get him and they put him through the hatch of the submarine, is there like an airlock or some sort of lock system there? Because there's water like gushing into the submarine, they're underwater, and the next scene they're like, oh here he is, he's Bond. <laughs> You only live three times, Mr. Bond, drowned in the submarine. I I do have to say, though, the one saving feature of this is when they do unzip him and his first line, permission to come on board. (laughs) I would love it if the person turns around and goes, no. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck off. But yeah, no, it's it's a myth. I just, just, I was laughing the whole time. Like, no, come on. This is one of those sequences where if you're not looking for flaws, maybe you're okay with it. But because I, I never had a problem with this the first few times I saw the movie. But when you really do look at it and analyze it, nothing about this makes sense. This isn't just a closed casket. I mean, this is like he's sealed in some type of sarcophagus and <laughs> nobody's seeing his body anyways. So why not just have the formality of dumping some, you know, plaster fake casket into a fake body bag filled with plaster into the ocean and have bond walk into the submarine with everybody else when it's in dock i mean (laughs) there's no purpose when nobody's seeing the body to have him pretend to be his own dead body and then go through this charade 
of being in the water and being pulled out of a body bag. And the, the newspaper, oh, I just want to, I so badly want to spoil how big of a plot hole this newspaper is, but I'll, I'll reserve my yeah, uh, comments later. <laughs> Fucking newspaper journalists. Um, the newspaper, the only smart thing in this movie that does make sense is that they put British naval commander dies and they don't put MI6 super spy James Bond. Like, <laughs> that's the only other thing they could do to have this make less sense. 007 dies. Um, <laughs> oh, we're sorry, James Bond. <laughs> I think the following scene I quite enjoy, though, um, with the... Petty on the... Uh, Taking the company sub out for a ride to Hong Kong. Um, you've got M on board. You've still got the padded doors, and you've got a money penny office on the the MI six sub. So I actually quite like this bit. It's the first time we kind of see uh, money penny on the scene, and really <laughs> M on the scene as well. Um, and we learn that uh, Bond is killed, so he can lay low. Uh, we'll touch on that later. <laughs> and then. Uh, I love that M says, Bond, this is your biggest mission. <laughs> Why is it his biggest mission yet? Because <laughs> they needed a line for the trailer, that's why. Just <laughs> <laughs> to suggest this is like bigger than uh, Goldfinger wanting to melt all the gold. Well, it probably is bigger, but it's just like... Uh, Lago wanted to blow up Miami. Like, well, <laughs> nu- nuclear bombs is pretty big. Um... <laughs> Yeah, Dr. No was blowing up rockets. He was doing the same thing, just not in space. Um, <laughs> Red Grant wanted the iPod. <laughs> but um, as much as I joke, it's kind of a nod to the book. I've just re, uh, re-watched or just read the book, and he kind of does say to a big mission. It's a different mission, so it's not even... It's kind of a nod. Um, and we learn that the rocket has landed pants so bond has to go there um and bond burns the paper that he has from m uh and he has three weeks and he gets a japanese passport so the whole m scene it's quite different from what we've seen so far the i, I like the fact that he refers to money penny as just simply penny at one point um is that one... like her first name's money <laughs> yes well exactly let's call her money um but when M says, oh, go to Tokyo, I'm thinking, like, Bond's going to turn around and say, oh, M, remember when you and I went to Tokyo? Um, <laughs> which, which, shut it off. Which, which later on brings up a huge... The, the plot twist, that the, the plot hole, sorry, that I am furious about later on when Bond mentions he's never been to Japan before... That just ruined it for me. Yeah, that was our favourite bit of from Russia with Love. I know, I know. That was the bit that I messaged our little Facebook group about, where I'm like, it makes me so angry. Like he's beat. No, he has. He hasn't been to Tokyo. Anyway, um, and the other, the other two quick questions. Uh, well, one sort of is going back a little bit. I just I forgot to ask the Ling before he quote died. Are we counting that as a you know a little. It's on my because I'm, doesn't yeah. he mention that he didn't quite go all the way? Well, I, I think it has to, to be because, yeah, like, if you look at every other Bond movie, I know I commented on this in From Russia with Love, but after every kiss-kiss that Bond has, he's always wearing a full set of clothes, and this is the only time we actually see him appropriately <laughs> naked, basically. So 
if he's in bed with Aki and Kissy later on, and you know something happened, and he's head to toe in clothes, and here he's naked, then I wonder what else was he doing. Well, I I, I counted it, but I just I didn't know if because I yeah I think he mentioned doesn't he that oh I didn't quite anyway just want to clear that you didn't finish. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not get into that debate. Um, but the other question I had, when he gets his hat, there's another hat on the rack. Is that his hat from Thunderball? That's <laughs> <laughs> The hat returns! Is that it? Is that where it is? <laughs> I would have loved it when the sarcophagus was coming down and you'd just see Bond's hat floating in the water in the back. <laughs> As you see his arm reaching out, my hat. <laughs> I can't get out, there's my hat! <laughs> And a fish comes and takes it and swims away. <laughs> My hat! Richard Keel comes and eats it up. <laughs> it's just an ongoing joke in the bottom franchise. My hat! <laughs> That's all I have to say. Okay. Um, I like the M on the scene, the money penny on the scene. From this point on, it really... if you Again, if you're looking at this movie, looking to pick it apart, you do wonder... How big of a dick was M that when he was uh, putting this whole thing together, he's like, I want my entire office duplicated. I want the padded door. I want this. And they're just like, we don't have the money for that in the budget. So he's like, I run the government. I'll tell you how much money we have. You know, <laughs> it really like how how picky is he that he wants all these things duplicated? But again, it's cool. And it's one of those cool little surprises you get in almost every Bond movie. You get away from M's office and in what weird location are they going to duplicate it? Yeah, I completely agree about that line, this is your biggest mission yet. I honestly believe that they said, we need a line for the trailer, say this is your biggest mission yet, because at this point, what is it? They're investigating a theory that only impacts two other countries. Like, if we're wrong on this, then Russia and the United States will be fighting each other over the rights to space. Yeah, and that then affects we've the off British. Japan too. Yeah, how does that how does that affect the British? Like, why is this so much bigger than there's a nuclear warhead out there? Um, you know, a lot of it is we think this might happen. We think this is what is happening. But is, think- is that is that like the whole point of the movie? Like, what the fuck are the British doing involved in this anyway? Like, wouldn't this mm-hmm. be Felix's job to solve this? You know, it's an American. Felix issue. isn't even there. <laughs> like, exactly. Like, so why are the Brit? We always question, like, in these other movies, why America are involved. Like, oh, because we're America, yeah. Like, why the fuck is Britain involved in this situation? It's got nothing to do with them. They assigned Felix, but he fell off the wagon again, so he wasn't <laughs> in any shape to go to Japan with all that sake around. Yeah, well, first he was with Dink, and then she's gone off. Then, then he fell in love with Paula. We know what happened to Paula. Felix just can't catch a break. He's back with Dink. Uh, <laughs> Dink was pregnant. <laughs> it's an knocked Dink yeah. up, so he has some <laughs> obligations that he has to attend to. Felix, it's me. Dink! <laughs> I think Felix should be on the new Bachelor. <laughs> bachelor oh, God, guy. don't mention the fucking Bachelor. Here, Dink, have a rose. <laughs> <laughs> this is the most difficult decision I've ever had to make. <laughs> I choose Dink. <laughs> um, so, uh, moving on, we have... Uh, Bond leaving the sub with um, the money penny scene and the code word for when he gets to Japan. I love you. Repeat uh, it, please. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and um, I love the the book that Money Penny throws to him. And oh, you! I took an Oriental lunch at Cambridge, <laughs> and um, 
the only thing he can say in Japanese is ah. What happened to his oriental languages first that he took at Cambridge and he can't even speak Japanese. So, he didn't uh, read instant Japanese on the plane. <laughs> yeah, you can only say, I said more phrases in the intro than he says in Japanese through the entire thing. Um, Ohio Gazimus. <laughs> that's all he says. <laughs> um, and he leaves the Saab in a wetsuit and I've written in my notes, Great, more underwater scenes. Didn't we just watch a two-hour movie of underwater? Um, they still have some sets left over. See, Em has, has taken so much money from the MI6 budget to give himself, like, six padded doors in every location he wants that they can't even <laughs> afford to dock so that Bond can get out. They're like, Bond, we're going to shoot you out of the torpedo bay. <laughs> and I love how he knows. It's not like he says, like, how do I get out of here? He just, like, automatically goes, oh, well, I'm going to leave. Better get in the chute. And, like, have they thought this through? What happens when he lands on shore and there's the paparazzi, you know? Yeah. Well, he's <laughs> he didn't die. How does, how does he get in a plane? Like, does he have a passport? Like, I mean, does he swim to Japan from Hong Kong? Like, does um, he... It, did I miss this scene? And they may have said it, but was the funeral and the sub in Hong Kong, or did they ship the body back to the UK? Um... I don't know. I, I assumed it was still in Hong Kong, but... It would have to be, because, l- l- yeah, let's look at this. Bond was underwater for a few minutes before they picked him up, and he was only talking to M for, like, a minute and a half. So <laughs> they had to have been pretty close to the Japanese shore at that point for the funeral. But do does Hong Kong print... English language newspaper saying that Commander uh, well, Bond is dead. Well, at the time they would have because they were under um, they were under UK rule until uh, nineteen ninety seven. So there you, you go. That? Yes, they would have. There you go. Um, maybe you're not illiterate. Um. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you found a use for me. Hong Kong history. <laughs> well, only up to nineteen. 19- well, they 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 bought it. I don't know. They had a deal where basically at nineteen ninety seven they would hand the country back to the Chinese, and they did. They held up their honour. I think it was a hundred year deal or something like that. So yeah, nineteen sixty seven it would have still been under the under British rule. Uh, yeah, that's why we've got Henderson there, love and life. Um, <laughs> so moving on into Tokyo and we have a Miami like uh, thing welcome to Tokyo sign like uh, we just were told that he's going to Japan but thanks for that um, <laughs> and we been playing um, we've got the people following bond and then a sumo match uh, yes which I know you love that then um, absolutely <laughs> Bomb watching a bit of sumo, uh, not quite as sexy as the gypsy from, from Russia with Love, uh, but a fight nonetheless, and Aki showing up and Bond saying, I love you. <laughs> I just wanted her to slap him. Uh, <laughs> like, oh, sorry, wrong person. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's... Um, yeah, I like I like the whole sequence there because it's kind of like tourist Bond. He's just looking around like, oh, no, yeah, cool, wicked. And then um, we get to sumo, and I love a bit of sumo. Where I kind of feel like they're my kind, sumo wrestlers. <laughs> and uh, um, I, I like what, you were Japanese. Well, you, there's an, a lot you don't I know a lot about Hong Kong history. I'm Japanese. Um, I'm very in touch with the uh, with Asian culture. 
Um, but no, I, I would love to go see a sumo match. So it was great to see. And I love the fact that the seats look the most uncomfortable things in the world. Like the way he kind of sits down and his knees are like still up to himself there. But um, I, lo- I love the setup. I think it's great. Like, you've got this massive crowd. You've got this, you know, epic sumo match happening. And you've got this, you know, beautiful Japanese woman sits next down to him. And kind of, they've got, like, this, like, staring at each other. Like, oh, yeah, here's Bond. He's going to, you know, hook up with her in the bathroom or something like that. And then, you know, we get the, I love you. It's a bit <laughs> it's- um, from Russia with love like, isn't it? Like, this yeah. world of spies. Yeah. No, it's, it's, I-, I like the setup. I think it was, it's a good scene. I really wish when he went into the sumo change room and he was getting directions or whatever he was doing, that he'd have to say to one of those guys, I love you, just to see how they would have responded. Or just sit on him. This is one of the things that I think Lewis Gilbert does right in this movie, is that he really captures the locations. The same as, like, Terrence Young's obviously really good at it, you know, with what he did in Istanbul and uh, the Bahamas and little bit to a lesser extent guy hamilton in kentucky um but what he does is different here uh, that i never really noticed till now is that he puts sean connery in the environment so you see sean connery walking through a busy street it's not just like well we found a location we're going to close it off connery's in the middle of like thousands of people in these takes and having all these wide shots of the sumo match i mean it's something that we hadn't really seen in a bond movie it's kind of just bond in the middle of something that's real and authentic and you have a real crowd there. And it was kind of nice to see that. And yeah, the, the introduction here of Aki is great. Uh, I, the one complaint I uh, have about the bond girls in this movie is how underdeveloped or how they use the wrong bond girl. I think at the end, cause I think that oh, Aki's yeah. a character and yeah. I really wish that they had done this better. And obviously there's a story we'll probably get into at some point about how the actresses wound up in their parts. But, uh, yeah, Aki was a good introduction. and It's just so funny to hear Bond say, I love you, because you have to wonder if the if Sean Connery is just in Bond character sounding really awkward saying I love you because he's something he never wants to do, or if that's something that, like Sean Connery just refused to do because he's just so late <laughs> in this part. Yeah. Um... Yeah, we'll touch on Kissy Suzuki later. Um, don't get me started. That is the worst Bond girl name. <laughs> that is the worst Bond girl. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll get to it. Um, but yeah, just on the idea of the culture, like I understand this film is set. Not many of the films have this one location that actually filmed most of it here. So. Um, as you said, Colin, nice integration of the culture. Um, and after he meets up with Aki, we meet Henderson, um, also known as the criminologist from, uh, what is it, Rocky Horror, and also known as Ernst Stavro Blofeld from Diamonds Are Forever. Um, we'll get into that two films from now. Um I've got a bone to pick with this because I've just read the book. In the book, the character of Henderson is an Australian who, M, I think they call it, maybe not, but he comes from Melbourne. He's been it's hilarious just Fleming Wright, an Australian character. Um, and then for the film, they made Henderson British. And I don't understand why. Uh, ben, what did you think of Henderson? The one opportunity for us to have an Australian connection that wasn't oh, when the appearance I of read Sydney. The book and found that out, I oh, it frustrated me. 
My best, fa- my favourite bit is the fact that his first name is Dicko. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's so Australian. Like, the character is meant to be Australian. And there's something about, and yeah, I guess we'll talk about it in Diamonds Are Forever, but there's something about the James Bond franchise that we have to have, a, you know, an actor playing a villain and a good guy in, like, different movies. You know, we see that, what, with uh, The Living Daylights and GoldenEye and Tomorrow Never Dies. They always um, cast people who either can't speak English or recast people in roles all the time. Like, how many actors were there in the 60s? <laughs> well, there mustn't been that many because they had to <laughs> keep going through it. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a good little set. I like how Bond like comes in there with a gun and then, um, you know, holding it to him. And this is, this is the bit that annoyed me with the whole thing going back to it when it's like, never been to uh, Japan before. No, I was screaming at the TV when I was like, you have! Like, ask him! You've been there! And then we get the whole stirred, not shaken. Did I get that correct? Like, oh. what, what, Colin, explain to me, what was with that? Why is that correct? I don't understand that bit. Well, it's because they didn't have Richard Maybaum. And Roald Dahl was like, <laughs> it's stirred, not shaken. And nobody, because he's Roald Dahl, like, we can't tell the legendary Roald Dahl he's wrong. So let's just roll with <laughs> the, it. The thing with this line is I've always assumed it was on purpose because Henderson says, did I get that right? Mm-hmm. So I was assumed it was supposed to show that Henderson was like some bumbling fool or something. <laughs> but then I listened to the commentaries and the production just couldn't even be bothered to check if that was right or not. Wow. That's amazing. Like, that's it's such a iconic part of James Bond. Like, and obviously Sean Connery, like going back to Colin's point of him being bored, he obviously was bored that he couldn't even be bothered to correct it. Like, you think Sean Connery, oh, yes. he's, fu- right. he's fucking James Bond, I don't give a shit, whatever. <laughs> like, I can re-round that scene two times to check if I wasn't hearing. <laughs> oh, God. Ben, what are we at in our martini count right now? Um, oh, coming into this, we are at three. Okay. So three out of, what, four, four movies. previous yeah. movies. So it wasn't really a trend at this point, but at the same time, so I think that's one defense, but at the same time, this is well-known even in Fleming books. I mean, Fleming created that, and it's something that they really should have gotten right. How did Broccoli and Saltzman not get this right? Like, was McClory supervising on set or something? Like, why, how did this go unnoticed? You know whose fault it is. Kevin McClory. McClory. McClory! So, you guys, I, I wanted to ask a question. You said Dicko is a very Australian name? Well, well it's there's a famous uh, Australian. His name is Ian Dicko Dixon. Um, so, there's, yeah, if you say Dicko to an Australian, oh, yeah, that bastard who was on Australian Idol. Um, okay. Yeah, that's... Uh, but he's not even Australian, <laughs> It's just, it sounds, it's very, like, I mean, Australians, we love to give people nicknames. You know, your name is Dickerson. Ah, Dicko. And, you know, you'd you'd be Hildo. Ah, Hildo, mate. How are you, bro? Like, you know, it's... I don't want to be anything that that ends in Ildo. I'm just going to say that right (laughs) (laughs) Hildo. I kind of wish that we had had that. Like, have him be Australian is like... Hello, Bond. I'm Dicko. This is my wife, Dink. <laughs> Dicko and Dink, they call us. <laughs> that's, not a bad, that's not a bad accent there, Cole. Well done. <laughs> you would think that there would be some Australian actors living in the UK in the 1960s. 
George Lazenby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they recast roles all the time. They might as well get him. <laughs> this never happened to the other dicko. I do want to touch on the scene here, um, because obviously the inaccuracy of the uh, stirred not shaken is very distracting. And then the fact that, at least for me, I had seen Diamonds Are Forever before this, so I'm like, why is Blofeld in a kimono? You know? <laughs> <laughs> but this scene, I it will go along with what Ben's point is, that they just rush through things where you're like, well, spend a little bit more time, spend more time on the fact that there's this MI6 agent who's lived in Japan long enough and he's saying, oh, I don't like to go completely Japanese, but it's like, you're in a kimono, dude. Like, what more are you going to do? <laughs> but here we have this guy who's kind of quirky. He's got like a, a steel leg. He's in a kimono. He dies with <laughs> yes. a knife in his back through a paper wall. Like, this is a fun, quirky scene. Spend a little more time on it because I would have liked to have seen more scenes like this. Yeah. Well, in, in the book... Um... He's a major character, and Bond, him, and Tiger spend like the drinking. And there's actual chemistry there. Here, it's like two minutes, but um, you touched on. I was so hoping that's the wrong leg. Oh, that's the wrong one. Um, <laughs> well, that would have been a good scene. It's the other leg. It's the left leg. Um, you should have just done that to play up to him. Like, oh, oh just kidding. <laughs> but what if what if that had happened? What if he gave him the drink or whatever first, and all of a sudden Bond's like whacks him the wrong way? Oh, sorry, I knew it was shaken, not stirred. This always happens when I have it the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, so that was good. But yeah, Henderson, the Australian, much bigger character in the book, so annoying um, that he just stops mid sentence after uh, stand. What do you call him? Shade. Um, and then a fun fight between. Bond and the killer of uh, Henderson. Dicko's killer. Which, yeah, Dicko's <laughs> kill. Um, which Death leads, of Dicko. Death of Dicko. Dicko's done. Um, <laughs> it leads to Bond taking a ride uh, in the back of a car as a wounded Japanese man. Lots of pretending <laughs> to be Japanese in this film. Um, which I, I like the fight, but then the ride in the car is, and all the way into and he's getting carried as well. Like <laughs> this guy is the worst driver ever. Like he does not know who he's picking up. Henchman. Um, yeah, like surely he would notice that he's carrying like the tallest Scottish man. Like, <laughs> did he not notice? Um, so yeah, it's a bit silly, and this starts off the trend which will follow for the entirety of the film. This entire film is henchmen chasing after Bond. <laughs> no matter where he goes in Japan, in every single scene from this point, and that's not an exaggeration, it's every scene from this point, he's just henchmen constantly trying to get him. That's the entirety of the film, and I think that comes from uh, Roll and stick to the original novel that it turns into just henchmen chasing him through the entirety of the... And I know that happens in the other films, but that's literally what happens in every scene of this film. Um, but is there anything else to add from the fight and the trip to Asato Chemicals and the death of Henderson? Well, I'm glad you brought up, because I, I wrote in our little chat thing that, like, Bond just keeps running in this movie. He's always running away from somebody. <laughs> like, he just can't catch a break. He's just trying to enjoy his holiday in Japan, like his memories of his time with him. But, um, 
Yeah, it's 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 just it's almost a random scene. Like we're about to get this information and this reveal, and uh, you know, yeah, okay, Bond being there is good because ultimately, Hen, you know, Dicko dies, but he's there to be able to be taken to Asato through you know the worst henchman in the world who doesn't recognise his mate. Um, <laughs> but but you, you kind of feel that even if he didn't go and visit. Dico, that he still would have found a way to get there. I don't know. Like, it just, it's almost in a way, and I don't know if either of you agree with me, like, it, it was pointless him seeing Dico in the first place. Well, wouldn't um, the other henchman get out of the car and try and kill Bond if the other one failed? <laughs> well, that's what they do in all these Bond movies, and they, you know, I'd, I'd like to find out where these henchmen go to school. Like, we, we saw the <laughs> Spectre school. But, like, you know, the International Henchmen's Association, like, <laughs> our one goal is to kill James Bond. How is it we're not touching on the mask this guy's wearing? I wrote in my notes that we have a germaphobe assassin only so the Bond <laughs> could hide his whiteness later on. Like, this is the laziest bit of filmmaking ever. They're like, we need Bond to pose as this Japanese guy. Oh, but he hasn't gone through his Japanese procedure yet. Okay, well, <laughs> let's have the assassin wearing a mask over his face like a germ mask as if he's in the middle of a SARS scare or something or West Nile virus where is the backstory of why this guy put his like, we're going to send you to kill a Scottish man it's like I don't want to catch Scottish I'm going to put on this mask <laughs> downgraded so in their mask making skills they've just got a piece of paper and some straps <laughs> now what happened to the colliery mask <laughs> but the so one that, thing I do like in this scene is that you see Bond, uh, <laughs> you do see Bond coming up with a little bit of improvisation here and, and showing that he's at least a little bit clever in this movie. He's lazy, but he's clever because the idea that he'd be like, oh, I'll just cover myself with a mask. And then he pretends to be hurt, which is pretty funny. I mean, it's the most enthusiasm Sean Connery showed in the entire movie, pretending that he was hurt. But uh, <laughs> Great acting, Sean. Yeah. But the fight scene that follows this, I thought, was pretty good, too. So, I mean, despite the fact this scene makes no sense, this is still the section of the movie where there's some good stuff. Yeah, well, we make fun of some of this stuff, but all the fight scenes in this film are quite good. And any time there's a fight with a shade, um, I'm always on board. I love throwing people through shades. Uh, We'll get to Diamonds Are Forever. Cairo! Um... (laughs) Jumping a bit I like ahead. the couch. I like the fact that Sean Connery can pick up a couch and back yeah. him up. With well, couch. yeah, that's what I was, I was going to bring up, but we may as well talk about that scene uh, now that <laughs> you've mentioned it. Um, in Asato Chemicals, this guy, uh, I love this guy. He's the big butch Japanese henchman, a bit more. It's great. This is like the MacGyver fight. They're like couch rocket and like, uh, the use of. This is probably my favourite fight of the entire film. I love this one. Yeah, it's it is fun. Um, I agree with you, kind of what you said about you know we make fun of the film, but there's some very good fight scenes in it and very well um, choreographed too. Particularly when we get later on, I feel with the, the ninjas. Um, but I just love the fact that he's using a freaking couch, and then like it's and a sword. <laughs> And a sword and everything that he can use. And then finally, when he gets rid of him, you know, typical James Bond, what's the first thing he wants to do? Drink alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> vodka. And then, yeah, straight away, he's just like, shrug, he's vodka. <laughs> um, and 
it, I, I think it was it was great how it, it all played out. And then <laughs> the convenient factor of that, of course, is that he just happens to have his safe cracker ready to go. Um, and then we have, speaking of like inept henchmen, the two worst guards in the world who are walking along and how they didn't sort of see him. And then they just turn around. It's like, you know, the stormtroopers in bloody Star Wars, they tap on the door once. Oh, they're obviously not in here. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> The safe cracker, I didn't think about that because at this point, Bond has arrived in Tokyo. He met Henderson, but didn't get anything from Henderson. So where in his wetsuit was he hiding the safe cracker? <laughs> he would have had to have had it on him before that. Uh, the fight scene, I already said, I love this fight scene. And I was getting ready to pick it apart as we were watching the movie because I have issues with a lot of the other Bond fight scenes in this movie for obvious reasons. But this is just what they did right in Goldfinger. Is the, instead of just trying to duplicate this gritty fight scene from, from Russia with Love, which really goes down as the ultimate fight scene, they use the environment instead of choreographing all these punches and chokeholds. So in Goldfinger, we had them throwing bricks at each other and you know electrocuting each other with the, 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 the cables. And in here we have couches and swords. And it's just a smart way to do a fight scene. And it's the only believable way that you think Bond would be able to beat this guy too. So this is a great scene. And yeah, why Bond isn't surprised when he sets off the alarm is what I'm wondering. Cause he's being so cautious and he, he cracks the his safe. And he, he closed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it must've been the front doorbell <laughs> uh, because he doesn't even blink. And again, I think that's just where Connery's really lazy in this movie because he should have had some reaction, like a double take, anything. And it's just, it bothered me that this alarm starts blaring and he's just like, all right, time to go. Well, it's kind of the safe. It's like, how does he even know? Like, I'm assuming this building is probably, what, 60 stories or something, maybe higher. How does he know that this one room, this safe, is what he should be spending his time trying to get things out of? Like, what, what does he know to grab? And he grabs, like, one bit of paper, and that's what he grabs. Yeah, it, and it could he... be, like, um, a toy transformer or something in there. Like, how does let's he know pick... this safe? Let's pick apart more plot holes in this. How does Bond know that the henchmen who just tried to kill him just weren't afraid of catching his Scottish? Like, all... <laughs> somebody tries to kill him, and, it, like, he doesn't know why they're trying to kill him. They could just be jerks, or they just kill random, you know, foreigners that invade on their territory. <laughs> Get yeah. out of the sato, bang. <laughs> He's going to open so, up the safe and all they find is a bunch of, like, hand sanitizers in there. <laughs> um, Bond escapes with random files. Um, <laughs> and once again, we always talk about how people, other people are saving Bond's life. Here's Aki to the rescue, with, in which Bond does nothing. Um, and she has a pretty cool car. Um, Toyota's something. Not really a car person, but it was a cool car. Um and escaping from the Asata chemicals. And then she stops, and Aki runs off, which <laughs> confuses me as to why she does that. Um, and into the subway, which is a great set. Uh, props to Ken Adam, um, unless it was just a real song. Uh, eat fresh. <laughs> <laughs> Floor giving way, Bond falling down a massive slide, which is just <laughs> one of those grandiose things that we talked about, like Moonraker die another day, this film. Um, before we get into Taika Tanaka, let's just talk about the escape, and does anyone know why Aki ran away from him? She's on his freaking side. 
Because Bond it's farted. Not, he died, but he's here. It's a ghost. <laughs> um, I I have no credible explanation as to why she did. I mean, I think we're discovering a lot in this movie of like, why? What? That makes no sense. The best bit of this whole sequence is I love the reaction shot of Sean Connery coming down the slide when they've got like him in front of a green screen <laughs> and he's just sort of looking so worried. Like, could you imagine, you know, they're actually filming that scene? Like, okay, Sean, we just need to stand in front of a green screen. Now pretend you're sliding down a slide and look scared. Like, I think uh, Bob Simmons actually did do some of those actual slide shots, though. <laughs> Surprisingly, they actually went to the effort for. Well, maybe, maybe the issue was that they every shot they got of Bob Simmons going down the slide, they could see his face, so they needed to sort of quick cut to Sean Connery going, oh, shit, something yeah, might we'll, catch we'll, my we'll Scottish. Get little Nelly later on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that's going to be fun. But, um, yeah, I look, I, I have, um, sadly, I've used up all my knowledge on Hong Kong history and um, my Asian knowledge to be able to give an actual Weird. explanation. Just As- parks and just pisses off. <laughs> she's just maybe she's just playing coy, like oh, Mister Bond, follow me. Um, I don't know. I, I look. Colin is the expert in these matters about why Aki would pull up. Well, first of all, I just want to say again how much I love Aki's character, and and this scene shows why. I mean, Bond's basically saying like, this time I'm taking you, which really doesn't make sense because she's driving and he's making no effort to grab the wheel, <laughs> and then he's telling her to slow Ooh, down, and she just. Says, I just wish that it's like, slow down. She's like, how about no, Bond? <laughs> like, why is he giving her orders and he's not even trying to take the wheel? Like, it just didn't make sense. She is more of a take charge Bond girl than we've seen. And it's unfortunate that a lot of her later scenes just devolve into her flirting with Bond because the setup of her character showed that she was kind of in command here. And I think the way I always assumed him chasing her was that he'd already made it clear at this point that he didn't really want to work with her and he didn't trust her but she had to get him to tiger to knock us so she's like well if he chases me i can get him to fall down the conveniently placed slip and slide that we have here <laughs> why does tiger to knock have that thought. well like usually if you're a secret agent and he's got this hidden base so he wants to stay hidden so why does he have a slide so we can lure people in there to his hidden base <laughs> or is this Japanese just guy, uh... Like Tiger, t- Tiger just likes to have a fun way into his office every now and then. He's like, "Today I feel like taking the slide." <laughs> it just happens to land on a nice little comfortable couch. What if he moved that couch like he was vacuuming underneath it? And I'm, oh shit! I forgot to move it back. Sorry, James. <laughs> He lands yeah. in his pool of piranhas that he has. Yes. Oh damn it! I just moved the door. Sorry. Can I bring um, up, I hope this isn't jumping ahead, but can I bring up my biggest beef about this movie, which is why does everybody have video surveillance from cameras that shouldn't be there? (laughs) Taiga Tanaka has this fleet of floating cameras. Like, it's just duplicating the previous scene. So you're looking at, okay, this is the shot from the slip and slide. This is the shot from the car. Earlier we saw a video camera that was apparently floating in space filming the other ones. Like... There's cameras everywhere in this movie, and when did they have time? They're very advanced in technology. That's the only explanation, but, like, when did Tiger have time to put together the montage of shots that only (laughs) took place 60 seconds earlier? (laughs) He's like, Juan, let me show you your escape. We just put together this montage five (laughs) seconds ago. 
Big Brother takes a day to get their episodes up the next day here in Australia. <laughs> like, it's a half-hour making, episode. They're making a subtle uh, comment in the world today. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't get any of that, Noah. You've uttered. Uh, it's fine. It was stupid. Um... <laughs> <laughs> That's the best thing about yeah. being Noah. If you say something stupid, you can cover for it because you're in it. So. Yeah, it was yeah. stupid. Um, we often talk about the spin-offs that can happen. Um, Aki and Tiger. Now, that would be a great spin-off, wouldn't it? Yes. As long as it's not um, Aki, Aki and Kissy. <laughs> Dicko and Dink, Aki and Kissy. <laughs> but uh, it's time to talk about the man, the legend, uh, just freaking awesome. Has his own secret base under the underground, which doesn't really make sense. Um, it's Tiger Tanaka. I love him. Well, um, he is he is the one and only Tiger Tanaka. You, you, absolutely. I, I love the fact that um, everything that he says to me could be used in a fortune cookie. Like it's <laughs> it's so like quick to the point. And just everything is poignant, like, with everything he says. And I don't know if that's, you know, the actor who brings it to that or just uh, the way it was written. But, um, yeah, he's great. I love how he calls him Bond son. Uh, <laughs> like, everything. He talks about his honourable mother, um, <laughs> which is always good. Um, but, yeah, he's... I reckon the spin-off needs to be Tiger, Tanaka and Quarrel. Oh, Make it and happen. And fucking tear him there. Yes, and Dink. You only live twice, <laughs> Quarrel. <laughs> Maybe. It was all all these deaths of the Allies, they're all just ploys by MI6 to get them off the grid. Yes, just like with Bond. See, there's yeah. a perfect, like, you know, way of doing these spin-offs. Like, you thought he was dead, but he was just under the ocean in a sarcophagus. <laughs> ah! <laughs> I, I want to put almost... an audio montage of Noah's... Ah! <laughs> I honestly don't know if Tiger Tanaka is just the only good character in this or if it's just that the actor is the only actor with enthusiasm in this because he really stands out above everybody else so much that you can ignore the plot holes. Like when you're seeing Spectre and NASA looking at a floating camera in space that's just conveniently there, you don't, you're, you're constantly questioning it. When Tiger Tanaka has these montages put together in three seconds, <laughs> it's like, he's the, I, I wrote in my notes, I'm like, Tiger Tanaka is the most efficient spy ever. <laughs> because I don't question it with him. And even with the whole, whole micro dot, like, Bond gave him this piece of paper, and ten minutes later, not even ten minutes, probably two minutes later, they come back, and, my men found a micro dot on there. It's like, when do they have time to do this? Like, are they all on, like, methamphetamines and they're just running a mile a minute? Like, Tiger Tanaka is the world's greatest spy, I think. Well, he's one of the few allies that lives, so there's that. Um, but, yeah, uh, he's just instantly likable. For me, not quite at the quarrel slash Kerem uh, level, but after having sex, 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 uh, what's his name? Seth what? Linda. He's having sex. <laughs> what? <laughs> He's having sex, sex, sex. Like how many? I was women... trying to remember. <laughs> what is it about Seth Linda that makes Noah have Tourette's with the word sex? Like, <laughs> just <some weird> association. <laughs> you haven't talked about yet. Yeah, um, sex, sex, sex. After, <laughs> after, 
Seth, Linda, and Rick Nutter. Um, it was about time we got back to some good Bond allies. So to have Tiger Tanaka on here, um, and I'm sorry for always pronouncing it, Tiger Tanaka. Um, Tanaka-san. Yeah, it's just, I love the Bond allies always, and he lives, so I am to cry for this episode. Bond likes Saki at uh, 98.4 Fahrenheit. I'm not I sure love how any... he's quick to say that. Like, <laughs> no, no, I like Saki. Mm, 98.4, perfect temperature. How does he know it's 98.4? Fucking what? <laughs> is that with his safe cracker that we just he's got a Saki temperature gauge <laughs> built in? If Bond can identify the temperature of Saki, but he can't remember that he likes it shaken, not stirred. <laughs> What's wrong with Bond in this movie? To, yes, like, oh, God. I, I like the fact that um, we get Tiger Tanaka being slightly racist for a European you're very well cultivated. <laughs> like, what's what's wrong with that? Like, the French are very, you know, like, know their stuff, and they're from Europe. This is kind of jumping ahead, but I love the line, um, ooh, like Mish Moneypenny, perhaps. Um, <laughs> like he knows we have our daughter's two bombs. Oh... Uh, and I why is it. he not bringing up Sylvia Trench? Why is he like, you should go back to that nice Trench girl? <laughs> you didn't treat she didn't her even that attend my, She didn't even attend my funeral, the bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where was Sylvia? Um, she's moved Off on. Dink. <laughs> Ooh, hello. Um, Everyone's with Dink. Uh, we go to uh, the the what would you call it, the slideshow with the Ningpo ship and the Amma girls. Kissy Suzuki, um, and then forget all this spy business. Let's um, with twenty women, Japanese women, and we get the line: <clears throat> In Japan, men always come first; women come second. <laughs> I might I just retire might here. Retire here. <laughs> <laughs> and we get what what it's probably a good five or ten minute scene of them having a bath and what was uh you mentioned it <laughs> Japanese proverbs say <laughs> bird never make best <laughs> bear tree. <laughs> oh <laughs> Is that that's the only reference to Sean Connery's giant massive chest hair that we will ever get in this franchise. <laughs> Like, Roald Dahl was very fascinated by Connery's chest hair that he wrote a Japanese proverb around it. <laughs> his delivery of the line is so deadpan and he's so not... Japanese proverb say, Burton never make a nest in their tree. I didn't know Sean Connery was Russian. I wouldn't call it racist, but he puts on a slight Japanese accent when he says Japanese proverbs. Oh, it's a whole sequence with this that's racist and sexist and... Oh, it doesn't, it does not up. age well. I, I actually enjoyed the scene because you get enough of Bond and Tyler not henchmen chasing, but it's just so many absurdities in here, and there's a Spectre mentioned, Tiger obviously knows who um, Spectre is, Bond picks the girl, and Tiger says, she is very sexy fool. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what is sexy fool? I wrote that down with a question, I'm like, sexy fool? <laughs> Classic Tiger line. And, and the girl switching out, and Aki coming in, 
Which, this is an absurd scene, because then, as Colin alluded to earlier, suddenly Aki is just in love with him, and it's like their long-lost loves. Like, this is kind of absurd, but I've covered a lot here, Ben, but that whole spa scene, Japanese proverb, men come first, Aki loves, sexy fool, it's just madness. I, um... This scene made me almost a feminist, I felt like. <laughs> You're not a feminist? Oh, well, you didn't know? Um, you're learning a lot about me this episode, um, Noah. But, like, I love how, you know, in Japan, men always come first, women second. This is 1967. I don't think anywhere in the world at that point women came first. Like, I'm sorry, but, you know, women's rights and everything, that was just happening at the time of 1967. So... Um, I, I, unless Japan was that isolated from the rest of the world that they didn't... Like, James didn't turn around and go, well, actually, back in Britain... Unless I'm really <laughs> super into it, I always assumed this was an innuendo joke. Oh, well, I... I yeah, no, and I agree. And if it was, that... it still doesn't make much sense. <laughs> I definitely think there's a huge innuendo like part in it. the men are really quick, like, what? <laughs> I do... I love James Bond's line, though, when it's like he's talking about the bath <laughs> and the women come out, well, oh, I like the plumbing. <laughs> <laughs> That is brilliant. That is, that's one of the best lines I think Connery delivers in the movie. And, of course, he follows it up with the bird in the tree very shortly. <laughs> Japanese proverb, say. Oh, but, um... <laughs> like, I just, I... This actually made, you know, the same that made me become a feminist, but it made me want to go to Japan. I want to sit in a bath and get bathed by yeah, Japanese women. Like, that's, a, that's amazing. Sign me up for that, too. Like, yes, please. I wonder why Tiger says, like, this is your first civilized bath. Like, what makes it civilized? The fact you have the entire population of Japan in there? Like, that, that's a civilization Tanaka. in there. Racist Tanaka. Yeah. Yeah, what uh, about those weird box things from Thunderball that Bond uh, yeah. locked him in? The- that's not civilized, Noah. That's British. <laughs> I'm kind of surprised you say you want to do this, though, because usually when I'm taking a bath, like, I'm cleaning parts that I don't want a woman sniffing. So I don't know why this is like Bond's like, hmm, come in. <laughs> where, where are you washing? <laughs> well, I hope you wash those parts when you bathe or do you just leave them? You're like, I don't want to touch that. I can't I, remember I, the I last use... time I ever had a bath. To be honest, I use a bath as a form of relaxation, not to wash a shower. So like, you're sitting there in your own, like, stink. Like... <laughs> You're sitting in a bath, you just you're dirty, you get into it, the water's not going anywhere, you're sitting in the same shit that was just on you three <laughs> seconds ago. Although this bath is like a hundred different bath. I just got an image of Ben though saying when I go into a bath I want to relax, he's got like candles everywhere. <laughs> hey, hey, don't laugh, I do it. I'm telling Man. you, I you can uh, I, uh, I swear I do it. Friday night I have a bath, I light candles, and I lay there <laughs> listening to relaxing music. It is amazing. You let the I'm not afraid to nest that. in your chest. <laughs> <laughs> no one's sitting here right now just gasping, sex, sex, sex. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's going to edit this to sex, sex, sex. I wash parts and I don't want a woman to sniff. Bed in the bath. Wow. Um, that's what Japanese proverbs do to you. <laughs> this, this is, is what happens when you catch theme. Scottish. Like, <laughs> yeah, they're all going to catch Scottish from being in the bath with Connery's stink. <laughs> like, this is just such an um, awkward scene. I mean... I gotta be honest, like, I saw this for the first time, and 
not just the line, but the entire scene I was doing a double take. I'm like, what am I watching? Like, <laughs> Roald Dahl, a children's author, wrote this. Like, what's wrong with the man? Yeah. It's... He wanted to branch out into adult fiction, and this is his, <laughs> this is, he's so used to writing children's books. But the, the thing this that is his adult version of it. It's the Aki scene. Like, suddenly she's, like, his girlfriend or something, and, oh, let me finish. It's just... <laughs> When did that happen? You were running away from him a second ago. Um, ah! <laughs> well, we didn't also mention that Aki is one of the few Bond girls to have her own theme song. Um, Sugar and Aki and Cocoa Bean. <laughs> so, um, she's got her own theme song, harking back to Dr. No. Um, can we move on from this bizarre scene that turned all Please. three of us into complete weirdos? <laughs> yes, somehow we... we made this more awkward than the <laughs> <laughs> We got Ben's bath and my stinky man parts and Noah with his sex, sex, sex. <laughs> Japanese proverbs say, woman, not sniff there while washing. <laughs> yeah, I read that in a fortune cookie once. Time to move on. <laughs> That's all we got time for today. That's been double double seven. <laughs> but quick, uh, quick, Noah, you'll be three to five minutes early for the next bit. Yeah, next scene is where one of my major gripes with this and the hugest plot hole is Bond goes to a meeting at Asato Chemicals with Mister Asato and pretends to be Mr. Fisher, David Somerset. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Later on, Asato goes, when Blofeld tells him that this is James Bond, he goes, really? I thought he died. Mm -hmm. If Asato knew Bond died and saw it in the paper, he would know (laughs) Bond doesn't have a disguise. He just said his name was Mr. Fisher. There's no disguise (laughs) or anything. And yet he has no idea who this is. I, I can't forgive. I'm, I'm, just because it's the 60s, it doesn't mean we can't forgive ridiculous plot holes. And this is just, I can't do it. Well, look, Noah, he might not have seen the newspaper. He might have heard he, about he, it. He, <laughs> he's like a high up inspector. He would know what James frickin' Bond looks like. The whole of Japan's trying to get him. They're warning still number four, Dr. No. <laughs> what happens in each, to the art department? It's each I'm briefing. Gonna... Each yeah. briefing they get like a document. It starts off with in remembering uh, our dear beloved number four, Dr. No. <laughs> this bastard killed him. <laughs> That's a good point, to. actually, because they did have the mask, didn't they, of what James Bond looks like. So, yes, well, no, no, you're right, Noah. That. I'm jumping ahead here for the biggest plot hole, but... At the end of the movie, when Blofeld is scolding Osato and um, uh, Helga for not knowing it was Bond, they're like, but James Bond is dead. It was in all of the newspapers. They read the newspapers. The same newspaper that had James Bond's face plastered on it at the beginning of the movie. Why didn't he walk in? They're like, isn't that the face that was associated with the James Bond is dead article? Yeah, geez, this Mr. Fisher looks very similar to that dead guy. <laughs> oh, he's my twin. It's just, yeah, I'm not Bond, James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I, I can't seven. When, at the moment, it's not a plot hole, because you don't really know who Asato really is, but when Blofeld was telling him it's James Bond, I, uh, I was done by that point. And um, they, they show up in the helicopter, and I'm such an idiot, because he introduced her, and I thought Helga Brand. I thought he called her Miss Grant. <laughs> and I was going to come on here with this big fan fiction about how 
Um, Red Grant's sister joined up with Spectre <laughs> to get revenge for, for his death and all this, but alas, it was Well, they are Grant. related. They just spell and pronounce their names differently. <laughs> yeah, that would have been so good. It's like Red Grant's sister joining the R department of Spectre. Um, we have ridiculous X-ray desk showing Bond's gun. Um, <laughs> ridiculous which, X-ray desk. I want one of those ones. The desk. Like, at your cubicle at work. <laughs> um, I, I wouldn't want it at my cubicle at work because I wouldn't have anything good to look at with the people who sit next to me. <laughs> <laughs> I was sure if this was product placement, but yes, I'm staying at the Hilton. Um, <laughs> <laughs> little subtitle comes up. Rates now available for only $89 a night. <laughs> www.hilton.com. Oh, did you know, Mr. Asato? Um, yeah, so... This this meeting scene, I get it's not a bad scene, but just that later plot hole was ridiculous. But I quite liked it, Sato as a villain, even though he's a dumb idiot. But still, I the funniest bit is I like it how you know they're trying to arrange for all this you know product to come to Bond, and it's just so quick. Like I'm after this. Okay, I will get it to your hotel room this afternoon. Okay, I'm at the Hilton. Okay, thanks, bye. Like, that is the quickest meet. Like, he's just met this guy. He's, like, the president of, like, this multi-million dollar corporation, no doubt. You know, how the fuck does he get a meeting with the president? You know, not just, like, an assistant or something. And straight away, like, oh, absolutely. You know, like, if this was legit and he didn't want to kill him and wasn't suspicious of him, like... You know, if he wasn't evil, if they were a nice company, Asato, you know, they're very well respected. I mean, Bond could be a terrorist. I'd love like, uh, Bond being bad at improvising. He's like, oh, I didn't think you'd say yes to the interview. What do I do now? <laughs> yes. Um, uh, uh, shit, uh, sure. Uh, I'm not uh, James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> I'm staying at the Four Seasons. I mean, the Hilton, the Hilton. <laughs> there's, there's two things in here that really make me laugh. The first is that uh, Asato is scolding Bond for his poor chest health. Uh, <laughs> but yet he's offering him, like, hard liquor at 8 in the morning because it gives the day a sparkle, apparently. <laughs> the, the second thing is, is that as soon as Bond leaves, he's, he says to Brandt, he's like, kill him. Now, he, he establishes later in the movie he had no idea this is Bond. No idea. So is he killing him for his poor chest health? Like, why is not saying, like, kill him? And she's like, why? It's like, I don't like the look of his lungs. Like... <laughs> Why is he ordering I saw it on my x-ray machine. <laughs> Japanese men yeah. don't have hair on their chest. <laughs> <laughs> well, we may, we may as well bring this up now. Is Sato, is he a member of Spectre, Spectre, Spectre? Or is he just an associate? I couldn't quite work out if he had a number. Well, Wikipedia, our dear friend Wikipedia, with our lovely um, descriptions that we saw, of course, with Vargas. Um, according to Wikipedia, it says, Mr. Asato, a Japanese industrialist secretly affiliated to Spectre. Spectre? Spectre. I would assume he is, yeah, that he's just associated because he his only purpose in this is that they needed rocket fuel, which makes you wonder why he's there present as they try to, you know, start World War Three. Like, couldn't they have just secretly paid a guy money and said, give us rocket fuel? Why do they bring him into the secret hideout? Because he's clearly not very smart. And is that the only way of connecting this to Japan at all? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, they could have a volcano in, like, Vanuatu or Hawaii. Like, Blofeld could have chosen there. But, like, I feel that that is the only reason that this entire movie is in Japan because you've got, you know, one random Japanese company that can give the rocket fuel to Spectre. But I feel like 
Vanuatu is probably lacking their rocket fuel though. So. Oh well, didn't you know Vanuatu? Were, they're entering the space race. They're um... <laughs> wooden rocket. <laughs> didn't you see the deleted scene of the DVD? The table. You've got the USSR. You've got the US. You've got the UK and Vanuatu. <laughs> They've got about three meters up into the air so far, but they're doing all right. Um, and that's just from a volcano erupting. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I quite liked Asato. Like, big business guy is kind of one of the bad guys. I thought he was quite good. Um, so he orders the death of Bond. And as he's leaving, Aki rescues him once again. Uh, She's always just there, isn't she, Aki? Yeah. She knows where to go. Aki is to the rescue. These Japanese people are so efficient in everything yep. they do. Um <laughs> People think the Swiss are efficient. I think the Japanese are more efficient. It's just everything. We talked about how fast-paced this film is. It's in hand. Everything's done. Like, <laughs> I'd love to see their rope work. They would be at least doing right here. Um, so we have this car chase, which it's quite good until I talked about before the going too far with this whole uh, spy extravagant thing. <clears throat> Magnet helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've got no words. You two speak. Magnet helicopter. Magnacopter. Uh, <laughs> I've got nothing. I reckon this is just something that if it's not Raul Dahl, it's somebody involved, one of the broccolis or something, who have just been sitting on this like, I know, for a Bond film, let's get a helicopter with a giant magnet. Yes! We'll use that in a movie! And Broccoli, if, you've uh, done it. <laughs> Broccoli! You've done it. You've won You're us an Oscar. Genius, man. <laughs> um, I I think this harks back then, this whole scene, to what Colin was saying about the conveniently placed invisible cameras. Oh. Uh, they've got this whole set up in the back of Aki's car, and they just happen to be watching a live feed of a helicopter dropping it. Like, how? <laughs> how? I mean, did they have live satellite technology in 1967? I think she'll be live tweeting it. Like, hashtag yeah, magnets here. Yes, and this whole situation, I said at the top of this episode that um, Austin Powers ruined this movie for me. The whole time when we've got this whole video screen in the background, I'm just waiting to have a, hello, Austin, Basil Expedition here. <laughs> <laughs> Aki is a better driver than Tilly. If you look at this scene, they're in a car chase, and she's one-handing it on the wheel the whole time. Like, how cool is Aki driving here? Bond looks weak around Aki. I just have to say that. I think that's one of the problems of a lot of it. I think that's one of the problems with this whole movie, and I think that comes down to Connery just not caring, because when Bond's in scenes with Tiger Tanaka, it's like, Tiger's better than Bond. He's in scenes with Aki. Aki's better than Bond. Every ninja in the world is better than Bond. (laughs) Why does Bond look so weak in this movie? It's because you surrounded him with people who cared. the floating cameras following the helicopter. Where are these invisible cameras just hovering in the air? And how much do they cost? And why have they not been made public yet? Because obviously the Japanese technology behind Skype that exists in these cars has now come out. Like, they're on Skype in the middle of their car. Like, nothing makes sense in this movie. It is more absurd than Die Another Day. I like the idea that... um the guy uh, who gets the order with the magnet doesn't quite understand uh, Bond and Aki and thinks that that's the car he has to get and dropping them into the ocean, that would be quite good. And if this magnet is powerful enough to pick up a giant car, 
Why are the keys from their pockets not being ripped up to the roof? Why are their belt buckles not pulling oh, them up guns. to the ceiling? Like, what what really guns. should have happened in this film is that it should have been the three blind mice in the car picked up, <laughs> dropped the car as soon as the car hits the water. Explosion. <laughs> yeah, why did the car explode when it hit the water? Like you know, usually the three blind mice who just can't catch a break with their ah! Tiger Tanaka is so picky about being discreet. He has a secret underground base and everything. He's a sufficient spy. Did he think nobody would be calling into the police saying, I just saw a magnet pick up a car and drop it in the ocean? <laughs> That's just normal in Japan. It just happens all the time. Godzilla, giant magnets. <laughs> the, the, the pun, like... Oh, that was a magnitude of 9.2 or something like that. <laughs> Where was the bomb pun? Yeah, there's not many bomb puns. had a magnetic personality. Oh, they're just dropping by the ocean for a little <laughs> cup of tea. <laughs> like, this very, yeah, Connery, bored Connery, just can't be bothered even doing puns. Oh, well, he got dropped off. You would think uh, Roald Dahl, of all people, would be on board with the whole comedy and pun type thing, but <laughs> uh, maybe he burnt out with Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, but... <laughs> um, back and we learn that the Ningpo ship is owned by Osata, Osato, um, which we have no idea at this point who little Nelly is, but she's coming with her father, um, so we'll see what that is in a moment. And Bond and Aki go to investigate at the Kobe docks. Um, and as we mentioned before, constantly henchmen coming at them, fork, forklift driving at Bond. Um, <laughs> thugs come out with their chains and like very anchorman type uh, with all the news reporters. <laughs> and this leads to probably like a 10 minute scene, I would say, of just. I don't think Bond kills anyone except for a few at the start, and it's just a, a big chain, henchman with chains chasing after Bond. Um, quite a long scene, but I will say one of my favourite shots of the movie, and this is definitely a Lewis Gilbert type, he is very grand with his scope. The pan out on the roof when Bond mm -hmm. is being chased, I think that's amazing, and you've got the theme playing. Like, that's probably my favourite shot of the entire movie, but... What did we think of the whole rest of... I actually kind of like this scene. It's just so absurd. Everywhere he goes, there's henchmen everywhere. But I think it's quite fun. Yeah, I like it. And I... Yeah, the helicopter shot's amazing. I think that looked absolutely that incredible. That was their floating cameras that captured that. Yeah. <laughs> that was... They had drone technology back in the <laughs> Yeah, that's what it is. The drones, Skype. Drone <laughs> so advanced in Japan. Um... But, yeah, nothing's as scary as a man with a forklift coming at you. <laughs> I like how they're pleasantly just like, oh, we're at the docks, this is nice, and they're staring, <laughs> at, this staring at this forklift, and they're just like, oh, what's this guy doing? Do <laughs> 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 a Mary scream in there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I, yeah, I agree with you. This scene's good. I mean, it's it's it feels like... It's not one of these two-minute, oh, they've had a fight, they're gone, oh, Aki's here to save him again. Um, you know, it goes a little bit longer than that. But I, I do have to say that when Aki's running away, none of them give a shit about her. Like, none of them go after her. They're still going after Bond. Like, she was with him, guys. Kill him. She's spy. She can walk and straight she's... past the villains and just get out. Wait, but we already know she's very skilled in getting people to follow her. So was this her failing here? Like, shouldn't they be chasing? <laughs> That's the girl we're supposed to chase. 
<laughs> she would just lead them to a trap door and going down the <laughs> thing. But um, the, I do love the fact that when Bond's escaping, there's two very, very conveniently placed giant like landing soft you spots. Him, yeah, you know, I love Bond's acrobatics jumping off and Bob Simmons is just picking, like ah! picking up the suit, which is always pretty cool. Yes, but uh, no, I, I I like the scene. I think it's a it's a it's a good scene. Uh, it's a fun scene, and um, it just once again allows Bond to keep up his uh, cardio work by running a lot. Yeah, I think that the henchmen in this are so funny because they're carrying just the most absurd weapons, like a wrench. Like, Bond's got a gun and you're waving a wrench at him. And the funniest part is that if you look closely enough when this chase starts, when Bond first starts running, the henchmen just stand there looking at them like Lewis Gilbert didn't even bother to say, you'll want to chase the man, but they kept that shot in there, because there's all these shots where the henchmen just, they look ridiculous. They, they're they just standing around doing nothing and brandishing their hammers and wrenches and screwdrivers, and Bond's shooting them all. Like uh, I'm not as big of a fan of this scene, because I don't think that the henchmen really sell it. I do think that shot is great, but... I'm going to disagree with Noah. Like, this is the moment where the music doesn't fit. If I'm watching an action scene, a chase scene, and I hear in the background, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> like, give us some action music here. Like, this would have been great to have, like, the 007 theme from, from Russia with Love or, like, the, the great music that plays during the Fort Knox raid. I mean, John Barry's good at action music. Why do we have a lullaby playing? Underneath the mango tree. Yeah, I would have rather that. I mean, it takes me out of the movie, but... I the don't know, stunt, I'm I... going to disagree here, just because, even though I don't like the song, the song does, when it's an instrumental, it does sound quite grand, and I would describe that shot as grand, and it's quite epic, and... Um, What's the, I guess you would call it the chorus, and dun, 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 um, you know I suck at re- repeating music, but I think it, it gets really <laughs> good. It's a Beverly Hills cop thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they should have used, that would have been perfect. It's quite <laughs> Beverly Hills <laughs> At least that would have made it an action scene. Yeah, but I, I, I don't know, I just think, and the, you got the sun, like, I, I don't know, it captures the whole Japan look, I, I like the music here. But it's not action music, and I just think there's so many better ways to do this, because I think that You Only Live Twice is one of the best scores that John Barry had. But fitting that song into the movie in this part did not make sense to me. I want to talk about the stunt for a second, though, because the James Bond movies, especially during the Roger Moore era, uh, I'd argue even on A Majesty's Secret Service, we saw some incredible stunts. And up until this point, yeah, Bob Simmons has done some things, like we talked about the, the Thunderball car on fire but a lot of those were kind of accidents. The Bond series becomes so famous for doing these wild stunts. And I'm trying to think if there was really anything prior to this. Yeah, we make fun of it. Oh, he's just, you know, falling onto a mat or whatever. But the guy does three flips off of a building. That's something that I think is, especially for the time, probably stood out and people were like, there's this incredible stunt in the new James Bond movie. The guy does yeah, Mildred, Mildred, he did incredible. a flip. He did a flip, Mildred. Could you do that, Bert? <laughs> Bert. It's, it's from pretty big heights. And I mean, again, Lewis Gilbert, one thing he does good is when he's has these wide shots and he lets shots play out instead of fast cutting, you know, the opposite of what Terrence Young did. And I actually really like the stunt. Even this past time watching it, I'm like, you know, it's 
it's no ski jump from Spy Who Loved Me, but this is pretty impressive for 1967. I think it's the kind of thing that watching it now we kind of laugh at, but like all 80s action movies have light scene where it's like, oh, there's a convenient escape route, jump onto those <laughs> bins or whatever. But I guess back in the day, like Mildred and all that, Burton Mildred wouldn't be seeing this stuff as often as the movies we're seeing now. So we may laugh at it now, but I agree, it's quite a cool stunt, and I love and how he fixes the suit up. We know that henchmen apparently don't have guns and they don't do flips, but when Bond's doing these flips, why didn't one of them just throw a wrench at Bond? Like, that was the perfect <laughs> option. Just throw it at his head and he's dead. Like, that's all you have to do. That really hurt. I'm going to have a lump there, you idiot. <laughs> throw the wrench. No, it's my wrench. Throw your wrench. I got this at Baddings. It's expensive. Yeah. And Bond is knocked out and they take him to number 11. And we find out straight after that number 11 is none other than Miss Grant or Miss Brandt, Miss Helga Brandt. So um, we talked about last week how there was no uh, women in the whole Spectre organisation during Thunderball as numbers, but apparently number 11 got fired from Thunderball and they've hired Miss Brandt, so good for them. Uh, she, got, she got promoted. They need they need to call it Spectre, Spectre Earth because they've got feminism in uh, Spectre. Uh, <laughs> Spectre. <laughs> For Spectre. <laughs> yeah, Spectre or Spectre. Oh, I'm done. <laughs> this is one of my least favorite. Everything that's happened up to here, I've found tolerable. This is one of my least favorite bits of the, the movie. That This woman has worked her way all the way up to number freaking 11 in Spectre. She is an assassin. She is one of the baddest of the baddest people in the world. Yeah, James Bond is so irresistible that Spectre number 11 falls for him straight away and the things I do for England. It's well, just... but she doesn't fall for him. She did this so she could get him into the airplane. <sighs> nah, I think she... <laughs> I think... No, I think this is where, like Ben was saying, the movie moves too fast because... I think that this was part, like, she's an assassin. This was part of her plan. She was going to lure Bond into bed, mm. make Bond think that she was going along with him. Because I wrote this down is that this is a very unconvincing turn for her because she's faking this. Because she immediately tries to kill him in the next scene. So I think that she was just sort of playing with him. And I think this makes Bond look dumb for going along with it because she's not very convincing here in her fake turn. That, makes, that makes so much sense, Colin, and... I think that's what it should have been done, but I just think it sounds like they wanted another woman to screw Bond. Like, yeah, I don't know if the they kiss, were kiss thinking count that. was a bit low at that point in the movie. Oh, shit, he hasn't had sex in about yeah, an Yeah, like, that makes perfect sense, and I would agree with you that's what should have happened, but is that really what Roald Dahl was thinking? Well, why else was she trying to kill him in the very next scene without any moment of, oh, I don't know if I want to do this? She's no pussy galore. <laughs> I like the fact that Bond... Like, I, I think Colin explains it well, saying Bond is the one who looks dumb, because he's quick to pretty much confess well, he's I a spy. Well, I think we've figured, uh, figured out that in all these films, Bond is an idiot. <laughs> Bond, I mean, like, he's the worst secret agent ever, if you think about how often he's quick to say, oh, yeah, I'm a spy, actually, confession. <laughs> well, I'm, my name's Bond James Bond. Like, you know, I'm double... Like, fucking hell, mate. Like, no you wonder may have seen me in the to... newspaper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You need to kill yourself every single Not movie because James Bond from the front page. Um, <laughs> I'm yeah. staying at the hill. I mean, no, I'm not. <laughs> but we'll have in Bond, but 
a lot of these films he is pretty much an idiot. But I like your description of that, Colin. Um, let's roll with that because I was just thinking, come on, he's not she she is the worst Spectre agent ever, and she's still not great. But um, we have into the lured into the plane, as you would say, and parachuting out of the tra- uh, plane, trapping flying train. This is Roald Dahl. Japan is so advanced. Um, They're flying inside of a giant peach right now. <laughs> I don't really know how planes work, but when you stop controlling it and jump out, does the speedometer just go up? Like That plane was speeding full up when uh, Miss Brant jumped out of that. Well, as a pilot myself... Um, <laughs> uh, well, look, I would assume there would be an element of that because there would be no one there controlling it with no autopilot, so I'm assuming straight away a plane would lose altitude, and obviously as you're losing altitude, you would gain speed. So um, I would assume there would be... A form of that that's true um that's my very scientific knowledge uh, of um, air travel <laughs> i'll take it i uh, colin i don't know if you know much about planes <laughs> I, I know nothing i only know that if uh, helga brandt is an assassin then she must use this exact same ploy every single time because why else does she have restraints where bond's <laughs> arms are in the plane like did they just install this one to say, one day this will come in handy, or is this how she kills every man? Well, she I, must have a lot of planes gone through there. I know <laughs> Spectre's motto is go go big or go home, but couldn't she just shot him? <laughs> There's a lot of that in a lot of these James Bond movies. It's like a lot of Couldn't effort. you have just shot him? <laughs> I know it's bloody work, uh, literally, <laughs> but still... Just like uh, Pulp Fiction. It's still a fun stunt, though. Plane going down, get out of the plane, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's fun. It it is because I don't think you're expecting it. It's a bit of a shock, and which is I think makes for a great scene. Shocking because shocking. you know it's shocking. You know, I mean, you've seen sort of going back to the whole you know sex bit. Like you just assume that, um, as I think Colin mentioned, that he just turned her. Um, and again, that's just what you assume with any James Bond movie, but then, hey, they're on a romantic little flight, he's going to tell, oh no, she's jumped out of the plane! Um, and then of course, in any situation like that, you know, helpless Bond, like, how the fuck's he getting out? There's no parachute, he's in a plane that's about to crash, he's, you know, hit under a, a board, which he has to judo chop his way out of it, um, and then I have to say, the worst, tr- uh, landing, or worst crash scene since we've had since Goldfinger, <laughs> how the play just kind of lands and stops and he's okay. Yeah. The thing that bothers me throughout this entire movie, but especially in this scene, is this is one of the worst examples of Connery just not caring because this could have been a really exciting scene. I mean, it's it should be the most exciting scene. Bond's trapped on a plane. How is he going to get out? For one thing, the scene does go by too quickly as Ben's kind of complained at the beginning of the show that things just happen and then they're done and that kind of kills the movie. But this is one of the worst examples of Connery just not caring. I mean, there's a way to play it as if you're so cool, it doesn't matter. Like, Roger Moore was really good at that. If Roger Moore was going down on a plane, he wouldn't even react. He'd kind of be smiling. It's like, well, that's not going to you know, do anything for me. Connery just has no expression during this entire scene, and it's hard to get excited when he doesn't even care that he's about to die. Um, well, maybe he... But didn't we establish that he's like pussy galore or something? He has nine lives. So, he's gone through a lot of them in this movie. You only live nine times, Mr. Bond. Um, <laughs> you only live nine times. And you're such a pussy. <laughs> Literally. Under the mango tree. 
Um, yeah, it's it's a ridiculous pretty much everything in this film, but I still think it's fun. And once again, Bond gets back to Taikanaki. This is kind of becoming a recurrence here. That Bond gets chased. He comes back to Tiger. Something else happens. He gets chased. He comes back to Tiger. Um, but this time, and quite fast to get from the UK uh, all the way here, is little Nelly has arrived with her father. And what follows is probably the best 10 minutes of this film. Um, such a great cue scene, so much better than the Thunderball one. Cue on the scene once again. And you have the, the mon- I guess you could call it a montage of the little Nelly being assembled. Um, Snap cuts. Yeah, <laughs> so out of place within the rest of the film but of course little nelly is the mini gyrocopter that uh, q branch has that i get seems to hate because bonzan take one of my helicopters and, <laughs> um so anti little nelly nelly do to tiger um <laughs> and then uh we've got the 007 the music, um, the song I love that I just can't tell you how it goes, but dun, 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 um, some great aerial shots and the Little Nelly fight, which is just amazing. This is the attaché case um, of this film, and there's just so much in here. They actually filmed this uh, proper. They had a guy um, on a parachute with a camera. They had helicopters. They had the little Nelly going. Um, obviously not the Sean Cottery scenes. They were, no. uh, they just copied and pasted them from the slide scene and put his face into there. Uh, <laughs> but the, the use of the bond theme, and it's not until you watch this, that you realize that the bond theme is so underutilized in these first, I don't know, six or seven movies. Except for Dr. Dr. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jinx. But, yeah, like, so many of these action scenes should have the theme, but then you notice when you see this one that they... I don't know if it was a Peter Hunt, Troy Gilbert, whoever. It's just... I was talking about uh, not having... Dun, 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 playing during the little Nelly chase, but <laughs> I think this has to be my favourite scene of the movie. So, Ben, what did you make of the little Nelly fight chase and also um, the cue scene, uh, little Nelly's father? Love the Q scene. Love um, anything with Q. You, I mean, I don't think there's any movie that you can say you don't like Q in it. Um, never, never again. <laughs> but um, I like, we, we're talking about like um, Skyfall. Yes, uh, we're talking about like Bond having Skype and all these amazing. Oh, he has the first GoPro as well on his um, <laughs> helmet. Underutilized. We don't get to see GoPro cam much. Um, but. Yeah, I, I don't know if I'm... A, I love the use of the music, but I don't know if I'm a bigger fan of this scene as you are. Oh, get um, off. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a Japanese uh, well, man. You know, men don't <laughs> come first on well, the Well, what didn't you like about this? And that's not me being prissy. Um, I actually want to know what you didn't like about the scene as much. I guess uh, it's me being nitpicky. <laughs> but, like, how many helicopters do we have chasing this tiny little helicopter and somehow Bond wins the fight? <laughs> like, this is a fucking helicopter that was assembled from crates and they've got, what, six massive, like, proper Japanese helicopters and Bond wins? I just love no. this henchman everywhere. He goes to a dock, there's henchmen, he goes into the sky and as soon as he flies up, there's helicopters coming out of nowhere. It's just, they're everywhere. I, I, I will say, props to the fact that um, 
ninety-eight percent of the scenes were filmed <laughs> legitimately, <laughs> and the you know two percent Connery green screen looking in bored in Spain. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like I don't know. I see. I get yeah. spooky. Um, you for some like reason, Nelly. <laughs> yes, I'm very disappointed that Ben's not liking my scene. Um, you've seen Little Nelly though, Noah, so maybe you're a bit close to it. But um, yeah, just yeah. not a not a fan. I, 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 the only props to it, the fact they filmed it, and I do think the theme uh, was used quite correctly. Colin, please shut me down. Well, I'm kind of going to be in the middle of you two because I think this scene... So next to Bono on the edge. <laughs> I'm really hoping I cut out then so you didn't hear that joke. Oh, no, you didn't cut out there, trust me. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I, I think that this scene, if it stands on its own, like if you're looking up YouTube clips and you're looking at a YouTube clip of this scene, I think it's fantastic because it, they did film it for real aside from a few you know green screen shots of Connery or whatever. But... In the context of this movie, this is, again, the same complaint that Ben said. What scenes just seem to happen, and there's no explanation. <sighs> there's a lot of problems with how this movie flows. And I don't think it's a problem with the scene. I think it's the way that the movie's set up. Terrence Young and Guy Hamilton understood patience, especially when it came to gadgets. You introduce a gadget with Q or whatever, and you let the audience forget about it. And in here, it's just Q says, all right, you have machine guns, you have this, you have this, you have this. And they're all used within 60 seconds. And you're wondering, from Bond's point of view, he's only going up to look at a volcano. So if he is going to go up, like, why does he have all these weapons? Why is Little Nelly, which is just a surveillance helicopter, built with all this? Is it that common of a thing for helicopter dogfights to happen when you're in a toy? You know? (laughs) The Q scene, I have a complaint with, too. Because, again, this is just where Connery kills this movie. I wrote down from, he has one or two lines before the scene starts, but as Q is going over the explanation of everything with Bond, Bond has three responses to him the entire time. Only three words that he says, like he should be going back and forth and there should be like a fun rapport. And all he can say to him is fine, good, and yes. (laughs) Like, I feel like Connery had like a whole scripted scene here and is like, I'm done with these one-liners. And it's like, so he's like, you have machine guns and he could have been throwing one liner. There's like, fine, good. Yes. It's like, it's so short. And it's just, it, I would have liked this to have been more Saltzman fun scene. Yeah. What's that? Maybe Saltzman was looking on that scene. So he refused, but um... yeah, exactly. <laughs> but overall, <laughs> I mean, I would put this scene up for the hall of fame just because there are very few scenes in Bond history that are this big or orchestrated this well, and it must have taken forever to film, and it's still impressive to watch. But in the context of the movie, the scene doesn't make any sense, and it from even from the first time I saw it, it just dragged me out of the movie. This scene here and later in the Volcano one, I'm not much... These scenes are like straight out of video games. Like you could picture a little Nelly fight video game scene and then a volcano like battle. Um, but yeah, as Ben said before, I did get to see the little Nelly at the James Bond car ex- exhibition in um, London, so that was cool. I'm, I'm saddened by the lack of love for old Nelly. Um, <laughs> Well, like I said, I think this scene on its own is iconic, and it's probably one of the most iconic moments in the movie. I will put it up for the Hall of Fame at the end, but oh, I'm putting I'll it say up. along with that, it doesn't make sense in the movie. <laughs> well, I'm outvoted then. <laughs> <laughs> um, but 
do you mean as a plot point, or do you mean the heli... Like, what... Well, okay, as a plot, again, it's just another scene where henchmen are chasing him, but from their point of view, if these are Osato's henchmen, and even Glofeld doesn't know Bond is there yet, why are they trying to kill this guy? Like, they have no reason to be this persistent. We're not seeing any orders being given in the movie saying, kill Bond. And yeah. the biggest issue is just how Lewis Gilbert just throws things out there, like, these gadgets needed a setup and you needed patience before you introduce them all. Don't introduce them and 60 seconds later you're seeing all of them in use. With all the um, henchmen just being everywhere in Tokyo and Bond being constantly chased and they always know where he is, do you think it made for a better story, I guess you could call it? Because Aki is an original character. He's not in the book. Would it have been a better story really a member of Spectre, 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 and she's just been playing along, and that's how they know where he is all the time, because she's a Spectre agent, and then that, there you that's go. a big plot twist. That'd be good. That would Even be really if it good. wasn't Aki, anybody, have Henderson turn out to be alive or something. Yeah, Henderson. You know, like... yeah. Tiger Tanaka <laughs> is number four. <laughs> Here you yeah, go. Um, been... Japanese Bruce Doctor Bond? No. Three random could... assholes making a more <laughs> a better story than Roald Dahl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Raoul. Yeah, I think that could be good if someone... Because that's a, com a common kind of trope in Bond is the traitor and the double agent. And that would that would clear up a lot of plot points in this entire film. So there you go. Um, anyone who wants to remake You Only Live Twice, which of all these films from the 60s, I think the, uh, You Only Live Twice could do with a remake. Yeah, like, yeah Kevin McClory. I love me. <laughs> well, well, yeah, like Goldfinger and From Russia With Love, they stand up. A lot of these scenes don't stand up too well, the space scenes and all the, some of the action scenes. So I feel like if they remade this, this could be good. But moving on from the uh, or Little Nelly, which I thought we were all going to just be having a massive um, spa, spa day talking about. <laughs> Everyone loved this scene, but anyway... Um, we have another ship being swallowed in space by the um, monster rocket and uh, the rocket being brought back down into the volcano that's quite fast from space down to here um, and we see Blofeld's cat. <coughs> the Eaglesworth. Yeah. <laughs> the astronaut's being taken prisoner. We are introduced to <coughs> uh, Red Grant. Oh, sorry, Hands. Um <laughs> The first of a long, long line of poor Red Grant imitations. Like, hands just, he sucked, let's face it. Feeding piranhas who can eat a man in 30 seconds. Um, yeah, we had that Japanese businessman there who I wrote is incredibly British. He sounded not Japanese at all. Um, and I love Blofeld's line, this is extortion. Extortion is my business. Um, yeah, it's in there. E. <laughs> e is <laughs> All right. Um, so, uh, that was fun. What else have we got? Um, and then I wrote in big, bold capitals, how does the Sato know the Bond is um, dead? Paper, whatever. And number 11, fed to the piranhas. It's all right. She sucked. Um, and then you have Blofeld ending out the scene with, Kill Bond now. now. Like, really bizarre delivery there. Um, 
And I'm not sure like, like a child. Yeah, I'm not even sure if that was Donald Pleasance or not because that was just weird. So Vicky Van Der Zyl. There's a lot in here. I kind of glossed over a lot of stuff because, as we mentioned before, so many quick, fast like scenes of so much going on. But out of that, do you have anything to add to that, Ben? The astronauts, the first view of the volcano base, and the piranhas. I guess that's quite iconic. The piranhas. Well, I was picturing them as mutated sea bass. Um, so Austin Powers reference for everyone there. Obviously, they picked that up. Um, but no, it's it's a great setup to get sort of Blowfield. And again, it's it's great that we've still just got the back of him. You know, um, I mean, we don't for for this whole movie, which is you know the reveal of Blowfield. We still don't get a whole lot of him until right at the end, which. Yeah. I mean, it's great. We've talked about it, like the reveal of, you know, the slow reveal of these things, which is a great um, theme that you can use in movies. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating scene, um, how it goes from, as you said, space straight into a volcano. I mean, the, the thought of a volcano, you know, base <laughs> sounds ridiculous, but it's, it's kind of cool, like, to think about a it's giant... cool, fucking... but who came up? <laughs> I mean, my question that I'm thinking this whole time, just again, thinking a little bit too much, like, how does Spectre manage to get the man hours to hollow out of a volcano, stop the flow <laughs> of lava, um, nobody in the Japanese government suspicious of a, you know, a large group of people constructing this giant facility in their country? In the obviously is a castle. But I don't know who changed that. It's obviously filled with explosives because you can press a button at any point and the whole thing self destructs. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, and I mean the whole thought process of like a, a bridge that retracts into a pool of piranhas. Like I mean, it's just it's it's easy to sort of say like now it's so over the top and cheesy and like easily to be parodied. I mean, you know that's the whole basis of films like Austin Powers, but. You know, I'm sure in 1967 when you see this, it's just like, wow, this guy's a real well, prick. I don't know. In context of these first five films, I think it's over the top and just too bizarre. Like, yeah, Mildred may have been a bit impressed, but I still think it's it's silly when you look back now, but I still don't think it was, like, the most awesome thing ever back then. Oh, well, I have I to say, though... I disagree. I, I still look at this to this day, and I forgive everything that happens in this movie, as absurd as it is, as soon as they're in this set. Because this is just, like, oh, the yeah, coolest I love environment the ever. And I think Ken Adam, like, he gets so much credit for Bond, but this is was, like, the biggest set ever constructed. And I know that the the tanker they built for the, the spy who loved me was bigger in size than this, but just the scale of this by looking at it... They built this thing real size for real. And even if it wasn't such an amazingly constructed set, just the environment, the idea of the environment, yes, it's cartoony. It's so over the top. This is probably one of the reasons that the Bond franchise needed to completely change things up. But for me, I feel like all is forgiven when you're in the volcano set. Oh, I think it's amazing, but it is definitely yeah. over the top. Um... I just wanted to say, though, that the whole... I don't know whose idea it is to come up with the fact that Blofeld is going to be even more evil because he's stroking a cat. <laughs> like, like what What about having this cat, which this poor cat has probably not gone to the litter in ages. It's probably got, like, 
bed sores because it's just permanently on Blofeld's lap. <laughs> it's probably lost fur because he won't stop rubbing the damn thing. <laughs> like, like, why does that make him evil? Like, what, couldn't he get a piranha out of the pool and stroke Although a piranha? Although it is quite an evil cat, though. It's not like a cute kitten. Oh, it's, it, I mean, if I think it's, it would be more evil if it was like the bold Mr. Bigglesworth from Austin, Austin Powers. Like, I think that's... it's not that the cat makes Blofeld evil. I think that Blofeld being evil makes this cat kind of a scary accessory because you know that Blofeld is like the most dangerous guy in the world and the fact that he's stroking this cat like I'm always watching thinking at what point is Blofeld just going to lose his temper and strangle this cat to death I think that's what makes this cool <laughs> oh, that would have been good um, like, do, do, do like number 2 through to 776 like ever question like uh, excuse me uh, number 1 just a um, quick question uh, what's with the cat well, they all have well, their own animal of choice when they're in their own yes. organization. Number two strokes a badger. Yeah. <laughs> Brent has herself stroking like a, a ferret. You know, Largo stroked an eyeball. <laughs> an eyeball. <laughs> number 11 strokes, well, nothing too right, dead. Let, let... Is number 11 the unluckiest number let, in Spectre? Apparently... <laughs> All right, let's talk about this now because we've been talking about Blofeld. Um, one of my biggest problems with this film, well, we've talked about many of the problems, but much of what we have talked about I still find fun. One thing by far, my favourite Blofeld, I think he is brilliant in the role. Um, he does it so well. He's bold, which um, Charles Gray isn't, and that always annoyed me. Um, he's just crazy like you look at him he is absolutely cuckoo um i just think he's so underutilized in this film i know that they wanted to keep the suspense but we had the suspense in from russia with love and thunderball with the question mark like get on with it uh, we've hidden him long enough like i wanted to see more of him and i think you mentioned it earlier ben is he only really shows up at the end and he Donald Pleasance is amazing as Blofeld. I just underutilized and would have wanted to see more like, let's bring him in like 40 minutes into the film and make him more of a villain. I There's no question in my mind that um, this is the best Blofeld in any of the Bond movies. Um, Donald, yeah, absolutely. I don't think it's a question. Like, I mean, you know, as much as we joke about the Austin... I mean, Dr. Evil was clearly based off the Donald Pleasance Blofeld... Um, you know, I mean, the, every Blofeld basically looks different in every movie. I mean, when he's bald in later movies, he doesn't have the, you know, the the evil scar in his face, which oh, is, I mean, that's amazing. terrifying in itself. And, like, yeah, I, I think this is the quintessential Bond villain. Of course Blofeld is. And this is the best, um, the best portrayal of that. And I, I, I don't know if anybody out there would think any differently. And if they do, you're an idiot. Well, Christoph well, I- Waltz fans... <laughs> but I think that uh, did you guys ever see the movie Lucky Number Eleven? No. Okay. Don't think it made no, it's a great. It's, a, it's, it's, it's on my great... to-do list. Bruce Willis, Josh Hartnett. It's a really good movie, and there's a lot of talk about Bond in the movie. And there's a scene where they're talking about you know who's the best Bond and who's the best Blofeld, and they bring up the point that Anthony Dawson was the best Blofeld because <laughs> you didn't see him, and that made him more menacing. And I kind of agree with that because. As soon as you show Blofeld, it's not as scary no matter what as the the faceless guy behind the scenes stroking a cat. 
But I will say that of all the actors that portrayed him, I think that Donald Pleasance did the best job. But I also agree with Noah that this would have been so much better if we saw more of him. And I think that would have helped if he came back in another movie. You Only Live Twice as a standalone movie, it's good because it's like a tease. We finally get to see Blofeld and maybe you'll see him more in the next movie. But unfortunately, the way the stories go, you couldn't use the same Blofeld in the next one because it wouldn't make sense for how Bond wouldn't recognize him, you know? So... I, think, I feel like, unfortunately, the, the reordering of these movies, they wanted to do Honor Majesty's Secret Service first and then do You Only Look Twice. I think that robbed us of being able to have a great actor like Donald Pleasance do Blofeld the second time. That's one thing that really bugs me about these movies is just, like, here have 18 Felixes, uh, three Blofelds. Like, how great would it have been if Donald Pleasant was Blofeld in all the films and Jack Lorb was Felix in all the films? Um mm-hmm. Maybe I just like content uh, a lot, but it's just, I think they realise their mistake, and in Honor Majesty's Secret Service, we'll see with Televalis that he's in it much more. It's a longer film, but he's in it as Blofeld much more than Donald is in this one, but that's just one thing I really noticed. He is amazing, and I, I kind of disagree. I think when you see that crazy eye and this like mental face i think it's more scary like that but that's just my opinion well i think i think i mean like talking about the slow reveal and all that sort of stuff and i guess in his you know previous appearances where you only see the back of him and hear him i can see how you would yeah make an argument that not seeing him makes him more menacing but i guess at that point you're picturing what he might look like and, you know, to get this reveal and he's got this hideous scar on his face and, you know, no offence to Donald, I mean, he's, he's acting, but he's not a very attractive man at all, like being bald, like nothing, <laughs> nothing against, oh, nothing, hang on, hang on, hang on. Make up, man. Well, that's what I'm saying, like, he's, he's acting, like, I'm sure in real life, Donald's a very attractive man. Is that like, his reviews on IMDb, <laughs> not a very attractive man? And again, nothing, nothing against bald people, but being bald makes him look even evil like it's just it's kind of one of these ones where you've had this build up to this evil bastard the number one head of spectre you know the most evil organization in the world where extortion is his business and other letters um and i think the reveal you're like oh okay shit he really does look evil like i mean what happens if it was like some nice you know attractive um you know gentleman with a lovely smile you'd be like oh he's not gonna hurt you we should also say that like donald pleasance came in at the last minute and yeah i've i've said that like you only live twice when i first started watching bond movies everybody loved it and the opinions really changed over time i think in part due to them sticking with serious bond so people are start, starting to forget that bond didn't have to be ridiculous and over the top but the original guy they hired to play uh blofeld what's his name here uh jan Wirick he didn't work out so they had to bring donald pleasance in very last minute and even if you look there are pictures and of course his screen tests are available on the dvds and it was a totally different depiction and even just the look of Blofeld changed when they brought on donald pleasance and like you said the eye the scar the bald head the bald head wasn't even supposed to be there if you look back at even the faceless Blofeld, you can see him with hair so they added so many of these iconic things that really do work and it's unfortunate that lately Donald Pleasance's portrayal has kind of taken a hit too. I don't know if that's because he only did the one movie or because it is more over the top, but 
I would love to have seen how Donald Pleasance could have handled the uh, Honor Majesty's Secret Service Blofeld, because I think he would have nailed it. Uh, yeah, no just telling. Uh, I'm, I'm on the Donald train all the way. Um, and no doubt we'll talk a bit more about him before the end of this episode, but let's jump back into the film. We've still got a little bit to go. And we have Bond back here with Tiger again. That's a recurring theme. Bond going off, returning to Tiger. And it's time for Ninja Training School. And we have Uh. (laughs) Ninja Montage. We've got modern ninjas. And the plan is to send 100 ninjas onto the island. Um, (laughs) And Bond has to train to be a ninja. And not only does he have to be a ninja, he has to get a wife. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's all that right. makes sense. Absolutely makes sense. It really does. <laughs> it, it, it's all right. We've got all the time in the world. Um, she's just having a rest. <laughs> <laughs> but Bond's getting married left, right, and centre in these uh, more recent films. But he's a Mormon. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just love uh, Tiger's description of Kitty Suzuki. <laughs> she has a face like a pig. <laughs> <laughs> um. And what follows is one of the most <laughs> most ridiculous, like, I don't know if this is Roald Dahl or who came up with this. Part of it comes from the Fleming book, but this is just... <laughs> I've had a lot of fun with this film, but Bond at the Makeup Centre, which is a great Ken Adams set, but turning into a Japanese man, getting some flesh over his eyes and getting a wig to make him more Japanese. Um, so now not only is Bond a ninja and he's going to get married, he's a Japanese man. Um, let's not go any further. We have to talk about this ridiculousness. Like, oh, I must. It's just it's too Yeah, Bond in yellow face. I don't know about that. <laughs> he's um... like the tallest man in the world. And seriously, it, it it doesn't look any different. He's just like parted his hair down to look like Jim Carrey and Dumb and Dumber. He looks like a Vulcan, not Japanese. Like they made it off a spot. <laughs> Live long and prosper. Yeah, it's, long and prosper. I think, like, I love my Bond movies, ridiculous and cartoony, and that. But like, if you if you plot this out on paper and you write. Bond movie in space, lair in volcano, ninjas, uh, like you're like what? What is this a Bond movie? Let's just let's just assume that the the disguise works. Wouldn't they do it at the start of the movie? Because then when Bond died, no one would recognise him for sure because he's got this <laughs> Japanese man. Um, and, and why? Why does he have to take a wife? Like why? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's no explanation for that. The thing that really bugs me... Like, I love the ninjas, and I think they really add to the end of the movie, but this just shows that it was Roald Dahl writing this and not Richard Maybaum, because this is like something out of a children's movie. I mean, I think that they they sat down and they're like, you know, we appeal to teenagers, we appeal to adults, we appeal to men, women, old people. we got to get the kids in the movie theater. So they sat down with some eight-year-olds and said, what would you like to have more of in Bond movies? They're like... Ninjas. Uh, how about some cowboys? I want race cars and laser guns. Like it's, it's like everything from like an eighth grader or an eight year old's birthday party shows up in this movie, and then they're like, 
modern ninjas. Why are they modern ninjas? Because you gave them a gun that makes them a modern ninja? Like, <laughs> yeah, what ninjas have guns? Come on. And, and these ninjas are supposed to be discreet. Like, ninjas are in, invisible. Like, you never see them. They're just wearing karate gis with black belts. Like, that doesn't make them a ninja. <laughs> that just makes them a guy in karate. <laughs> it's just... Uh, I thought Bond had a... Um he knew oriental languages and he can't even speak japanese he's got his shoulders slouched. yeah and he's did and he stands out so damn much and it's just why <laughs> i an, i like to you go colin i was gonna say there's another moment where connery just looks weak in this movie and i think you surround him with so many cool people and people who really know how to fight i mean you have this martial arts displays and these ninjas training, and you have Connery in there, and it's just so painfully obvious that he's not up to par with them. So I have a hard time believing that Bond's really the hero of this movie. I I just wanted to quickly add, like, yeah, you mentioned Noah about how he's meant to know Japanese and all this sort of stuff. Why the hell, if he knows Japanese, are all these Japanese people speaking English with him? <laughs> like, he's in Japan, he's hanging out with Japanese people, he's meant to know Japanese, speak Japanese. Yeah, a lot of people in Japan speak English, apparently. <laughs> I, I think this whole scene was missing, like, montage music. Like, we needed to have some, you know, Eye the Tiger or even just, you know, some uh, South Park, Team America. Let's have a montage. 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 I, I think the set is amazing, but, like, where the hell is that makeup room? Like, that was a massive room. And what's with like all the dentist's waste- office. Yeah, and what's with all the wasted space in Japan? I mean, this is supposed to be the most cramped country in the world where people sleep, like, in, in bunk beds in hotel rooms, and they've got this room that's about 10,000 square feet just so they could put Bond on a cot and apply a couple of makeup apparatuses on him. Did I, did I miss something, but is it just me, or does the makeup just suddenly disappear as soon as he's inside the volcano? It disappears. It's, <laughs> it's just, it rubs off or something. Did, any, did yeah. anybody else love, though, the one crazy ninja who was probably trying to top crazy jump up jamaica guy who's running right at the camera screaming is like Aah! yes like yes. he found one of tanaka's floating cameras it's like no cameras here <laughs> and the ninja who's a spy it's just, um, i wanted to add one more thing on the uh bond becoming japanese thing because you said it nor you said it ben why does he get married yeah. And even if he does, like, I kind of said, okay, you need a cover, you need to go into the village, you know, and pose as your Japanese, and it makes sense to have a wife. If that's the case, why did they have a full official ceremony? Like, everybody there knows this is just a cover, and they're playing a part. So why are they holding a ceremony? Because they said it in the rumors before, Colin, that Bond gets married. Exactly. Well, they, they, this is all just to live up to their own promotion. Tiger Tanaka has all these great spies. Why does Bob even have to do this? Couldn't they come back and report to him? Like, he's very self-centred, James Bond. And, and like, again, correct me if I'm wrong here, because I think you already corrected my question that I'm about to ask. Like, at any point, does James Bond get to know the name of his wife? Because I think you mentioned that well, um, Tanaka said it. But I swear, at any point... I did not hear James at once yeah, um, mention her name. I was going to bring it up when I uh, mentioned it all through the book, but 
Kissy Suzuki, who supposedly is supposed to be the main Bond girl in this movie, is not mentioned once by name, and it's the only Bond girl to do that, and it's just crazy. And they give her two names. Like, Aki has one name. Why do they give her Kissy and Suzuki? They're not even telling you one of those names. It's the worst. It's the worst. Like, Holly Goodhead is better than fucking Kissy's. Well, oh, you can like... blame Fleming for it because she is in the book. But it feels like, oh, they just wanted to put her in because she was in the book and not because she has any relevance, really. And, and her character is quite be... faithful. She is Emma Island girl in the book. We, we also should address now that the actresses swapped parts uh, before they started yeah. filming. You know, the actress who plays Aki, uh, Akiko Wakabayashi, she was hired to play Su- uh, Ooh, nice Suzuki. Colin. Yeah, I- I've been brushing up my Japanese better than Bond. Hi, uh, <laughs> 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 uh, Then the actress that plays Kissy, she was hired for Aki. Well, what happened is, as they were learning their language, like, because they had to be able to, even if they were going to be dubbed by Nikki Vanderzil, they had to be able to <laughs> mouth the words. Well, that's uh, what, me- um, so, uh, sorry, I'm just butting that, is one of the really positives of this film. <laughs> Dr. No, who's supposed to be a Chinese man, was played by freaking Canadian. This film, they actually the effort practice and mm-hmm. teaching them English. So I'll just add that, that that's one major tool. Yeah, and again, like the Bond movies, there are times where they come across, and I never want to call the Bond movies racist because I don't think they ever had bad intentions. And even Fleming gets a lot of criticism for being racist, but he was usually writing about cultures that he visited and loved. So he wasn't doing this maliciously, with the exception of maybe Koreans and Goldfinger. He didn't have positive things to say about them. But let's address the fact that Bond... He called them kangaroo bums. (laughs) Yeah, the kangaroo bums. uh, Racist. (laughs) But let's address the fact that Bond sleeps with four women in this movie. Three of them are Asian. This is groundbreaking for the time to have like interracial relationships. Not just have it, but have three out of the four women he sleeps with in this movie be of another race. Like This is very early in the whole uh, civil rights movement, at least in America. Uh, that's pretty groundbreaking, too. Good point. I, I keep thinking, is Bond ever going to top his record of four? Because he got four and from Russia with love. Will he ever beat the... Uh, oh, you just ruined our kiss kiss count. Colin just said it! <laughs> I'm not saying you, I meant Colin. Well, he, hasn't he yeah. already slept them all at this point in the movie? I mean, the, the audience yes. here can count. Well, we forget the Blofeld at the end. Um, what was blowing who? Blofeld? Bond and Blofeld at the end. Well, we didn't count that. Um... That right. joke failed. <laughs> <laughs> it's an in-joke. You, you cut out there, Noah. I didn't yeah. hear that. <laughs> yeah. But uh, also, do we want to talk about the um, uh, the missed opportunity for one-liners here? Which I, I wrote two of them down. Like, if you're an audience member and you can come up with one-liners, but Roald Dahl can't. Like, you hired the <laughs> wrong guy for the movie. When they say she has a face like a pig, wouldn't that have been the time for Bond to say the things I do for England? Mm. Yeah, <laughs> that or, would be yes. a perfect opportunity. And or, then um, there's another. Mm, I, I love bacon in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> the other part where they're like eating, oink, and again, oink. we talk about like the tedious uh, scenes of um, swimming and everything in Thunderball, but they could have just had Bond become Japanese. They didn't need like a half dozen scenes. Showing that okay, now this is him and uh, Kissy eating oysters. Like, <laughs> why is that scene in there? Like, it just drags the movie. I down. wrote in that scene. Um, what about Conch Chowder? 
I wrote I, the exact <laughs> same note. Yeah. <laughs> no I just say the the one bit I will say from that whole scene though is just the randomness of when they're just having their like conversation, like. Oh, so you, do you live alone? Oh, this is my house. My parents died. Very <laughs> like, sad. It's just like, okay. Like, I live alone. My parents are dead. They died. Okay. Dead right there. <laughs> um, all right. We should, we, let's just say Bond as Japanese disguise is one of the worst moments in the series. So we've covered that. It sucks. Um, it's ridiculous. He has so a face of a pig in his Japanese disguise. Like, it does not look Japanese. It looks yeah. like he has these giant makeup apparatuses on there. It just looks like he's like got the sun in his eyes or something. Or he looks very bloated. Like, looks like, like he's, he's had, stung had by a bee or something. At least he didn't try and, like, turn around and start walking around like, oh, hello, my name is James Bond. Alright, let's move on. We've still got a bit to push through for this film. Um... So we have Bond and Aki, like, they're a full-fledged couple now, even though he's about to get married to another woman, um, having a nice little sleep at night time, and ninja, bad ninjas coming in, who knows where they, if, like, are they tiger ninjas or spectre ninja? does spectre have ninja, uh, my mind's gonna blow up in a minute, but, um, uh, and I actually really love this scene, the, the ninja-style death of Poison down some thread um but even in his sleep james bond could avoid death by rolling over the exact right time and uh inadvertently killing killing aki the day before his marriage to a kissy (laughs) now that i talk about this film it's so whack i just wanted him to have the one line well that got rid of that bitch (laughs) um yeah, I missed death by a thread or something like that. Um, <laughs> she got the point. Yeah. So that's the end of Aki, and I think it's a great death, like poison. And his, I'm just going to keep this quick. They should have ditched Kissy, and Aki should have not have died. She should have stayed throughout the entirety of the film. Um, and I said on uh, what's it called, AG, AJB forums. Um, earlier today that even though I love Tiger, they should follow suit with Quarrel and Kerem, and Tiger should have been the one who got killed. Obviously not in bed with Barton, but another one. <laughs> and, um, in bed with Blofeld. Yeah, there's our kiss count up to five. Um, <laughs> but I feel like Tiger should have been the one who got killed, and then Aki stays around and gets her revenge, because Aki is a great character, and she, they, her and Bond, even though Connery is bored, um, to hell, they have some chemistry, and she's such a likable character. While Kitty is one of the most useless things to ever appear in film, um, so, <laughs> so even though I just uh, uh, it's, they didn't need to have two Bond girls here. Aki should have stuck around. It, I, it's sad to see her go. Hashtag rest in peace, Aki. Yeah, what they what they did right in Goldfinger, they do wrong here because in the Goldfinger book they made this mistake, which is, I think, one of the, the reasons why the Goldfinger book I have some issues with. Because in the book for Goldfinger, Tilly is the Bond girl all the way up until, like, the last two scenes. And then you introduce Pussy, who's completely insignificant to the plot, and all of a sudden he ends up with Pussy in the end. It's just like, well, who cares? I mean, she only just came into the story. And they did away with that by killing off Tilly in the movie and giving Pussy development. 
So here in You Only Live Twice, you had the opportunity to just not have Kissy in the first place or just expand them into one character, you know? Keep Fleming's character from the book, but expand it and then just merge these yeah, two just, roles. Just call Aki Kissy Suzuki there, you've covered yeah. the book. Yeah. Ben, anything on Aki's death or the character and how they went about this? I think they fell in love the moment she ran out of the car. <laughs> and uh, she went into the subway. No, I, I liked Aki. I agree with um, exactly what Colin was saying. I mean, Kiss, it's just she's just so bloody random. They get married. Oh, whoop de do. Um, you know, she runs around for the rest of the movie in her underwear. Like, there's just nothing there with Kissy. And the worst name of any Bond girl, bottom five worst Bond girls out of any of them. Whereas Aki at least had some interesting parts to her. And I'm not meaning parts you think <laughs> I'm meaning. Um, well, plus it. Yeah, well, plus those, they were a benefit as well. But, um, yeah, poor Akiku. I'm, I, I'm going to try a name here. Akiku Wakabayashi. Nah. Um, <laughs> Akiko Wakabayashi. Wakabayashi. Akiko Wakabayashi. Um, yeah. She's also a better actress as well. Um, well, And yeah. she was, like, again, we'll say she was meant to play the part of Kissy. Yeah. It's just that Miyahama, who plays Kissy in the movie was supposed to play Aki and couldn't learn the language right, so they're like, let's move her to the part that speaks less. She couldn't do much, really. Um, and I've always considered Kissy to be the main Bond girl of this film, maybe just because she's in the book, I'm not sure. But Aki is in so much more of this film than Kissy is. Um, and the character is just bizarre because it's like she's an island girl, but she's also a tiger agent. It's just like, whatever. Um so that's the end of Aki and one of the greatest deaths in uh, Bond history, really, except for Connery rolling over his bizarre, oh, not bizarre, uh, just absurd. Moving on, uh, we have, I wrote, Bond walking with the un- other ninjas sticks out like a sore thumb when they're walking along in a uh, single file. It's just ridiculous. Um, and the first appearance of Kissy, one hour and 18 minutes into the film. Um and we could talk about Bond and Kissy and their relationship, but there is nothing to talk about. Um, they have no chemistry or no nothing. Uh, we mentioned the oysters, um, and the Americans have changed the launch date, so Bond has to act quickly, of course. Um, quick, Bond, quick. Yeah. <laughs> terrible green sk- scream when Kissy was on the raft. As I oh, was the, the f- sunset. <laughs> oh, it's horrible. The people in the background was um, trekking to the volcano. I like the scenery there. Um, the Bond and Aki start to get it on, but then they're interrupted. And then they sneak into the volcano at night time. Bond tells Kissy to piss off. Um, she goes <laughs> swimming back. And fun fact that's in the special features, it's Connery's wife doing much a lot of the swimming um, mm-hmm. scenes, which is ca- kind of cool because not only could together? Kissy not speak English or act, she also couldn't swim. So I don't know who they... hired this girl. Is Connery still with that wife? Or... Uh, no. <laughs> Uh, I'm just quickly just on the you missed the cave bit the vagina cave, um, with the, with the gas. <laughs> it looks like a vagina. Like when they're going. I think you're it. reading far too in, into this innuendo stuff. When but you I, the, 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 the cave. A bit of a plot hole here or whatever it is. But like, is that the same cave that they swim out of later? Like, what happened to the gas? They had to quickly yeah. jump into the water. Gas, and when they've escaped, oh, the gas is just gone. Yeah, I, I think. There's nothing to that other than a production screw-up. 
and just really quickly as well, in terms of like they took they so long for them to get to this volcano, it's taken them ages. They get to the top, they get in there, and then Bond's just like, quick, go back and tell Tiger to send help. <laughs> like he's just fucking taking like days to get there, or how long it's been, and she's just like, oh okay. She doesn't even have a boat anymore. Like she's swimming. <laughs> but she's just like, all right, yes, husband. You know, it's just business, but okay. And seriously, we, we talked a little bit about this, but like Bond's made up in the disguise for what reason? The, Lewis Gilbert should have shown scenes to explain the ideas in this movie. Like all it took would have been one scene where they're in a village and somebody's like, uh, oh, is this your husband? Like uh, no foreigners allowed. And it's like, no, don't worry. He's Japanese. You can tell by his hair, you know? <laughs> but like he's in the disguise and now Bond just looks stupid for still wearing this disguise because they haven't even talked to anybody. They've been alone the whole time. The biggest problem here is if only he put a mask on his face, no one would have recognized him. That's what all the other Japanese men are doing. This is germaphobe mask. (laughs) Stop Scottish mask. And like when... (laughs) When Suzuki's swimming back and the helicopter starts, why is the helicopter just randomly shooting a poor woman swimming in the bay? Like, yeah, like how do they... That... She's not armed. She's sitting there in a bikini. <laughs> exactly. Like, you know, what is this? These helicopter <laughs> Japanese agents are just pricks. Like, oh, let's just go randomly shooting a random swimmer. I also uh, love, uh, this might be jumping out a little bit, but in a movie where everybody has floating cameras filming everything at all times, and we even show later on that there are cameras in the crater... Why did nobody see this guy not only entering their crater, but throwing rocks at it at a very noisy sheet of metal? Like, who was watching the camera feeds of this? Those drones. Um. I love how fake it looks, too. Like, when you get the long shots of the vault, it's clearly water. But when it's close up, and, you know, you can clearly tell it's not water anymore. Oh, well, if you're talking about fake shots, can we... The volcano erupting the long shot. Oh, God. <laughs> Someone needs to make a gif of that. <laughs> Stock footage of a volcano erupting mixed with sparks coming out the top of a set. And the set. footage was probably filmed in 1924 or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we're into, the vol- we're into the volcano. Finally, Bond's there. And he attempts to rescue the astronauts. Um, but it's... Did a rescue, but he ends up on the rocket. So, once again, Bond's plan backfires because he ends up having to go to space. <laughs> like, imagine if he didn't get caught, Bond would be in space in a few hours. <laughs> How would he know what to do there, too? Like, again, this is kind of like when Bond almost blew up all of Kentucky at the end of Goldfinger. Because they're like, you shouldn't be entering there with your oxygen on you. It's like, well, was he going to, like, blow up the entire thing and commit suicide in the process? He's just such, he's such a man. Like, a man, like, I'm being sexist towards our own sex right now. Like, you know, when, you know, you're around, you're being a handyman at home, like, your pipes burst. Oh, I don't know how to fix that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that just if you t- goes there. Honey, you should call for help. No, like, no, I can fix this. Like, someone says, oh, do you like this band or this TV show? You say yes. Um, and then you just have to keep going along with it for, like, days and days. <laughs> Like, I love One Direction. Oh, they coming to town? He's, he's stuffed up. He has to go to space now. <laughs> like he's the first man to ever accidentally end up in space. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, that what would Bond have done? Like this just came to me right now. But what would Bond have done? He knew that Tiger was coming to basically blow up this volcano. So now he's going to be in space, stuck there because he has nowhere to land. 
And he knows it's probably going to get blown up because they've got to stop it. Yeah. <laughs> it's also really the funny. on like, a suicide mission. <laughs> let's go back to the plot holes in this where, you know, Blofeld uh, stops Vaughn from going to space and uh, it's only because of his oxygen. Like, should Blofeld not have been going, somebody stop that astronaut. He looks like that guy whose picture was used in all the James Bond is dead <laughs> newspaper articles. He looks like that guy that we had uh, the mask worn off after number four got killed. <laughs> what, what, what was his game plan, though? What was going to happen when he got in the rock? <laughs> there was yeah. no <laughs> it, It's like Dr. No when he's just standing there looking like a complete idiot and Dr. No's like, Chang, you're supposed to be turning the, the, uh, the danger level meter. <laughs> And here, it's like, he would just sit there and everyone would be, like, turning around looking at him. I was like, aren't you supposed to be flying this thing? I love this whole scene, though. Like, you've got Blofeld just sitting in a chair, stroking a pussy, and all he's doing is, like, going, do this. And then you've got some random Japanese guy with a British accent going, doing this. <laughs> like, every single thing is just repeated. Like, stop that astronaut. Stopping the astronaut. Get a reserve astronaut. Getting the reserve astronaut. <laughs> Uh, that whole that job that guy's job is to repeat Blowfill. Um, I have uh, Bond going into the rocket. I have to say, I love the the travel system in the volcano. Those like, oh, the little train. Yeah, they're awesome. Yeah. I, I was cheering every time that happened. Uh, <laughs> I want uh, a James Bond theme park where you can just yeah. have the volcano ride. Blowfield world. Yeah. And can I just quickly <laughs> ask land. one one question? When we keep getting the shots of um, NASA. And they're all, you know, the American shots. Why is everybody who works in NASA called McDonald? <laughs> well, I think that's another case of sponsorship here. Like, is that a, is that a company or is, like, literally everyone hired it? Oh, let's hire him. He's got the last name McDonald. <laughs> <laughs> Big Mac. <laughs> everyone on the back of the shirt was called McDonald. Um, it's, it's just like, uh, you know how Americans tend to sometimes make movies and they're clearly clueless about, you know, the cultures they're making them in. And a lot of those old, like, I remember when Rumble in the Bronx came out, the Jackie Chan movie, it took place in New York, but you could see the Rocky Mountains in it because they filmed in Vancouver. And Jackie Chan <laughs> explained it by saying, well, people in China don't know what New York looks like. Like, this is where it's painfully obvious that 1967, people working in London didn't realize anything about the United States. Oh, those Americans, they're all named McDonald. <laughs> 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 I think we're I think we're um, delaying the inevitable. One of the greatest moments in James Bond history, and of course you've got the hipsters now saying that it's not, but it is in my opinion anyway. The introduction of Blofeld. Um, yeah. You only live once, and I love it. They told me you were assassinated in Hong Kong. It's like you're the one who told the that Japanese it wasn't. Now? <laughs> well, you sounded very Japanese when you did impression of Blofeld. No, that was my Asata. Um, but okay. who told him that? They told me. Who? You're like the boss, um, and you're the one who told Asato that he wasn't assassinated. But let's not shit on this scene because it's amazing. You only live twice, and I, I, I hate it how they integrate the the titles into the theme uh, into the movie but this is an exception because it's amazing and when he comes out from behind swivels the chair and you see donald pleasance for the first time and you do a merry shriek ah! um <laughs> like i could we could do a two-hour podcast on this scene I, I i love every single second of it um 
Yeah. And if you do a little Nelly on me now, I'm hanging up on you. No, I'm not doing a little Nelly. I agree with everything. It's perfect. It's it's so good. I mean, we've built up three movies of who is number one, who is this who guy, is why is he stroking a cat, and here it is, it's the reveal, and it, it's one of these, like, yeah, non-cheesy mentions of the um, the title film. You know, it's no, oh, looks like I'll live to die another day. Like, <laughs> come on. Like, no, that's like the one bad bit about die another day. But... Uh, <laughs> it it just works so well, and he is just such. I mean, we talked about it before. He's such an ugly fucker, and he's he so he, he's evil. Like he he is evil. Like I just have to keep saying that. I want to know how he got the scar. Like was that his cat? Like Blofeld origin film. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Blofeld Origins coming soon. Um, but like, I really, well, like, in all seriousness, we joke about that. But like in Spectre, like if you know Christoph Waltz is Blofeld or whoever's Blofeld, it would be great yeah, if he- they set it up like a la you know Darth Vader, how he got all burnt and hideous yeah, before he was Darth Vader. Like show how. Blofeld gets the scar on his face. Like, because I'm sure that's something that Bond fans have debated. I'm sure it would be awesome, but I think it's probably just his cat scratch, too. Yeah, I want to go to the toilet! (laughs) I I know I said earlier that I'm kind of glad that the uh, reputation for this movie has sunk over the years, because I always always didn't get why people loved it so much, but the one thing that I'm so sad about is that Donald Pleasance's reputation, you know, as the original Blofeld has sunk so much because he is so good in this. And I'm not going to little Nelly on you on this. Like, I think this <laughs> is the greatest one. And the battle that's coming up is so good. But the greatest moment in this entire movie is the finally getting the revelation of Blofeld. And Donald Pleasance, for a guy who came on probably with days to prep, I mean, he does such a good job. This feels like he was the actor who was always meant to play Blofeld. I, I love this scene. And it's, it is stupid. Like, a lot of the complaints people have now is saying, like, Blofeld's kind of just a little bit obnoxious and not that menacing. And he's not. He's kind of like Goldfinger. You know, he's just a, a bit of a spoiled kid at times. But he plays it so menacing and scary. Like, he's, it's, it's just nobody wants to mess with this guy. And, and he's such a small, ugly little man, as, as Ben would call him. <laughs> and I guess um, the other thing is we don't... We all know. If you can watching this in 1967, Mildred and Bert, if you hadn't read the books, you have no idea who this guy is. So uh, my name is Ed Stuff from Bullfell. Like it's, I I don't know if you can critique this. I've seen some critiques, but I'm not sure if there's any valid criticism on the scene. I think it's just amazing. And yeah, is there anything else to add on that before we end on another amazing scene or series of scenes? If we little Nelly this and it doesn't make the Hall of Fame, then um, I'm hanging up. All right, let's go into the climax of the film. And no, we are no longer underwater. Uh, We're done with that. We're not in Fort Knox. We're in Volcano Base um, in what is one of my favourite final battles of all of the Bond history is... the underwater scene in Thunderball was quite clump, complex, but this film, there is a lot going on. And as Colin said earlier, one of the biggest sets out there. Um, we've talked about how useless Bond is in this film, but even he has some great moments of um, grenades and guns and cover me, Tiger. Uh, we were, 
ninjas rappelling into the crater is just so freaking awesome. Like, ninjas rappelling into the base, it doesn't get any better than that. Um, you've got Blofeld's men going everywhere. Um, you've got Bond sneaking in. You've got a great fight with Bond versus Hands. Uh, you've got uh, my favourite song playing there and Bon Appetit. Uh, there's just if you will, I need to go back and watch this because there's so much in the background and the ninjas are just freaking awesome. You've got um, what Blofeld shooting Asata, and I'm still not 100% sure why he shoots him. Um, maybe you guys can shed some light onto that. And goodbye, Mr. Bond. Um, goodbye, yeah. Mr. Bond. Oh, yeah, yeah, you've done it. <laughs> I knew it was a weird, like, kind of like, kill Bond now. Um, <laughs> Uh, I, I kind of glossed over a lot of this because really a lot of this is just awesome action, some of the best action in the entire series. But uh, I've said my piece. I think it's amazing. Uh, what about you, Ben? Do you have anything more to add that I kind of missed? But there's so much going on here. You could stop in one go. Yeah, it's great. And, you know, I know we added the Thunderball underwater fight final sequence to the Hall of Fame, but, I mean, this just shit's all that over that. <laughs> Yeah, like this was, this is epic. And, you know, as you said, ninjas jumping from the roof of a volcano. I mean, again, back to Colin's eight-year-old, um, you know, test audience said that. I know, if we put ninjas jumping from a volcano, that's the plot of the movie right there. Um, my only... Done it again. My only negative, my only negative about this entire scene is that Hans is the most useless fucking henchman. Like, we see him for three seconds earlier in the movie, then he comes back again. I forgot who he was. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, who the fuck, who's this fucking random guy? Oh, right, he's the henchman in this movie. Like, I'm sorry, this is a controversial <laughs> statement. I'm going to put no, it on the record. Not better than Vargas. Vargas, Vargas was a better henchman no. than Hans. <laughs> because then we get this, like, build-up, like, Bond in the piranha room. We kind of get this, like, dun-dun-dun, like this big re- Oh, here we go, finally, the battle we've all been waiting for. Hans versus Bond. Ooh! Yeah. <laughs> It's shit. Like, that's the only shit bit about this last bit. The fight's good, but, like, who gives a shit about Hans? (laughs) Yeah, this is the most pointless henchman ever. Like, they could have... I would have rather they saved Helga or Sato and he fought them, even though it's going to be, like, a one-sided fight. I mean, it wouldn't have been with Helga (laughs) because she was an assassin. That would have been better, but, like, this is a guy Bond's never... For all Bond knows, even Bond at this point is questioning, it's like, Really? I just went through all of this to fight some no-name. Like, <laughs> Connery must have been so ticked off here. He's like, give me a real fight to go out on. You? I forget who he is. I've seen this movie so many times. And every time I see the movie, I'm always like, was this guy in the movie last time I watched it? Like, I'm convinced <laughs> that I got a new copy of it or something. Uh, so, does, can anyone shed some light on the death of Asato? <laughs> <laughs> oh right, yeah, we jilted over that. I, um, yeah, I don't. The don't, don't the mani- Why? It's it. I mean, this again just sets up Austin Powers parodies because here we go. Blofeld's pointing a gun at James Bond. This is the <laughs> end of James Bond right now. Spectre wins. Spectre fucking hates this guy. He's killed their beloved Doctor No, and he hesitates and shoots the other guy. Like, why? <laughs> 
<laughs> There's a deleted scene somewhere where they find out Asato was really working for MI6. Like, this is a problem. Lewis Gilbert puts these things in here, and then all it takes is a quick explanation. I mean, you already have a shorter Bond movie. Just take some time to explain this stuff. Can we give I'm... some ultimate props to Ninja with a sword just kicking ass and taking <laughs> names? He was amazing. I want to know was who that, that guy is. Was that Ninja who ran at camera? Was that Ninja who ran at camera earlier? Yeah, that's like the guy taking up floating cameras. <laughs> How good was yeah. he? Just, we never found out who he was. He was just slicing up everyone. <laughs> Nicky Vanderzeel. <laughs> um, and seriously, but... like, Kissy has been swimming in a freezing ocean... She apparently traveled like a couple hundred kilometers in a very short period of time, just all by swimming. And they didn't give her a towel or anything. They still make her fight this fight in a bikini. <laughs> Remember, Colin, in Japan, women come second. <laughs> <laughs> this this entire climax is one of the best, in my opinion, anyway. Um, and so many great fights. A bit confusing with all the Blofeld. But it's all forgiven because there's just so much good here. And, of course, Bond saves the day at the end of it. Um, oh, so, Who was expecting random guy to come in and press Oh, the yeah. <laughs> yeah. Random ninja saves the day. Third movie in a row, random guy is there to save the day. Um, yeah, I said earlier that the volcano set makes everything right in this movie. So even these scenes that don't make sense, like Asato's death and the random uh, henchman at the end. But as far as this entire battle goes, I mean, you really can't take away... It's not just the set. I mean, Lewis Gilbert did an incredible job with this entire sequence with the ninja storming it. And it's so big in scale. Like, the Spy Who Loved Me set was bigger, but it didn't feel bigger than this. And everything about this is fantastic. And I always forget how short this scene really is. Going into this, it's the first time I've really ever watched the movie and been looking at the clock to find out when these scenes come in. Because I always look back and consider this to be... Yeah. Well, I always consider this to be one of the biggest and longest action scenes in Bond history, but it only runs for a couple of minutes. Yeah, it could have been longest. I I would watch that for half an hour. Um... We ha- you could. You could just slow down the, the yeah. time. <laughs> then it would be like the underwater scene if that's slow. <laughs> um, the base blowing up, we've got the terrible volcano effects, the stock footage, and Bond is not killed. He's with Kissy, um, and you have M and Money Pity still in the submarine. Like, hasn't <laughs> this been. Anywhere this <laughs> hasn't this been three weeks? <laughs> she needs to breathe there or something. Like she's been there for a long time, and James Bond will be back in on Her Majesty's Secret Service. So as much as we're uh, hated on this film, this end twenty minutes or so is just so good. Um, so that's it. That's you only live twice. Um, the best bit is exactly what you just said, though, that Bo- James Bond will be back in on, on Her Majesty's Secret. <laughs> yeah. Because you know what that means. is coming up Lazy next. Me. Lazy, Lazy me. me. Uh, you only live twice. Um, so general summary of it, um, I would just say we've really ripped into this film a lot, but we also did that with Dr. No, and I love Dr. No. Uh-huh. And we also kind of did that with Thunderball. Um, that deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> to me, Thunderball and twice of the Black Sheep of the trilogy. Then it goes downhill. But the difference here is with Thunderball, it's long, and I get bored. 
with this, there are so many plot holes and so ridiculous and so over the top, but it's fun at the end of the day, and it goes by at a lightning pace. And even though it's ridiculous, you got Tiger Tanaki, you got ninjas, Aki, uh, Donald Pleasant's Blofeld, amazing volcano set, and amazing battle. So there's nothing that this will never be a classic Bond for me and for a lot of people, although some people love it. But it's also not like terrible because of all the plot holes we said because at the end of the day I have fun and that's all that really matters and with Thunderbolt there are times when I'm really looking at Facebook and saying are you guys messaging me at this point too so uh, I guess that's my summary I'm kind of going on a big tangent but I have fun with this film even though I appreciate that it's not the greatest of things I think you summed it up well by saying it's fun and I think if we go back to the very first episode we did of this podcast where you know, I, I sort of mentioned that, uh, you know, a problem I have with the Daniel Craig era is that fun is gone. They've uh, they've gone a little bit too serious. And, I mean, again, it's a different era of Bond. We'll get to that, and they're, they're great in their own rights. But, I mean, a lot of the draw card to a James Bond movie is the over-the-top silliness of it. And, yeah, we can sit here and poke the absolute shit out of the plot holes and be like, what the fuck? This makes no sense. But... You know, it's still an enjoyable film. Um, it's probably too fast in some points, as we've mentioned a lot, which is a real change-up from it being too slow in the previous movie. <laughs> Can't they but, just meet in the middle? Yes. Um, but, I don't know, it's just... Where else do you get in a movie, um, you know, particularly probably in this period of, of cinema history, you know, as we said, like, ninjas, space, <laughs> um, you know, like, little Nelly. Yellowface. Um, Yellow face, <laughs> women coming second, um, you know, all this sort Slide. of stuff. And it's, it's written by the same guy who fucking did Matilda. Um, you know, and <laughs> so it, it's just, it's fun. And look, as you know, we're going to obviously do a bit of a teaser for On Her Majesty's Secret Service. It's, it's very significant that, you know, this was implied to be Connery's last Bond film you know he announced his retirement when they were filming this and this was meant to be it um how was it going to continue what was going to happen after this and again we'll touch on that in on her majesty's secret service and obviously when we do our 60s wrap-up um episode as well but it's it's kind of interesting i could have imagined living in that period whereas colin you were saying just how big the james bond movies were and how huge they were and just the reaction that it would have been like for connery leaving like you know, I mean, Daniel Radcliffe leaving fucking Harry Potter. How would have that turned out? You know, like, I don't know. That was the only one I could come into my head randomly there. But, you know, he was so associated with this role. And for us, it's easy to say, well, it's not that big of a deal because we've grown up with different bonds. But for people in the 60s, they didn't know any different. So um, it brought a little period of the Bond movies to a close um, you know, the Connery chapter. I know Diamonds Are Forever and Never Say Never Again had come, but you'd probably argue that this was really the end of the, the Connery yeah. era before we kind of moved into a bit of a change. I think it is a little bit easier right now to imagine what it would have been like as Connery stepping down, because I think there are very few roles that people have played that have been this iconic. And I think the only one within this current generation, let's say the last 15 years, would be Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. And as we're recording this, within the last few weeks, Hugh Jackman's kind of announcing himself, I'm about to play Wolverine for the last time, and it's such a big deal right now in the media, and there's people all over, Hugh Jackman's all over Twitter, you know, putting out these posters that it's his last time and everything as Wolverine. 
And that probably came nowhere near what it was like to see Sean Connery for the last time. And in a way, even though I think that this is his worst performance as Bond, I'll say that Diamonds Are Forever and Never Say Never Again, despite the fact I don't love those movies either, I think that Connery played with a little bit more life than this. But it's sad to see Connery go, even knowing we're about to get Honor Majesty's Secret Service. I mean, Connery was James Bond, and he's so responsible for the success of these movies. The movie as a whole, I, don't, I honestly don't know after watching it this past time if my opinion has improved or worsened on it because I never liked this movie and uh, I think there's so many good things about it. It's one of those hard ones. Whenever I do rankings of the best Bond movies, it's so hard for me because I love the last 20 minutes, half hour of this movie so much that I'll put it up there as like if, if this were tacked on to the end of any other Bond movie, it would be one of the greatest Bond movies ever. But everything before then just doesn't make any sense and I think even though there are fun parts of this movie, I just can't look past what a mess it is. I stand by what I said at the beginning. I think this movie is just as ridiculous as Die Another Day. And I think that from the point of view of what Lewis Gilbert did in executing it, I think it's a bigger mess than Die Another Day. Yay, something's better than Die Another Day in Ken's <laughs> eyes. Well, we'll find uh, out when we get there. Well, we're we doing that one. Um, <laughs> all right, um... So shall we? Where do we want to start? Do we want? To... Well, can I? I'll just just quickly interrupt you. I'll Go can I do it. the box office and the just because I always forget they're really quickly. Yeah, do it. Um, in terms of unadjusted, uh, it's the eighteenth most successful, forty three million, uh, eighty four thousand seven hundred eighty seven, just below Diamonds Are Forever and just ahead of Live and Let Die. Wow, Live and Let Die didn't really make that much money. Um, and adjusted though, it is the fourth most successful. Uh, 291,540,400, uh, just behind Skyfall and just ahead of Moonraker, uh, and two spots ahead of Die Another Day. And uh, according to our bestie, Peter Travers, how are you, Peter? Comes in at seventh, um, just uh, behind. Seventh greatest. Yeah, just behind Dr. No and just ahead of The Spy Who Loved Me. The other, uh, You Only Live Twice. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, wow. Come on, Peter. Uh, All right, let's get into our kind of closing things that we do. Let's start with Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang. How great was that sound effect? I'm so glad we added that into it. Um, <laughs> it's live now. We established that last time. Sure. It's completely organic. Um, I was singing that. It's amazing. All right. I'm going to say, just off the bat, zero Bond, James Bond. Am I correct in that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say <laughs> one martini, but it was stirred, not shaken, but it was a martini nonetheless. Yeah, no uh... counts. I'll say, okay, I didn't count it, because I, I went, i being very anal in the Well, we've had martinis in it. the past, we've counted, that weren't shaken, not stirred, they were just martini. And there okay, will be I'll, ones to come where they probably won't specify if it's shaken or stirred. Alright, I'll take it, I'll take it. But I still, that scene, I still thought it was on purpose for a long time. Um, Alright, Kiss, we already spoiled it. Four? Four, yep. Will he beat his record? From Russ with Love, he got Four, he got four in this one. I'm not sure if he can do it. Um, no, he can do it. <laughs> he can do it, but will he do it? Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, into the kills. This 
most of the controversial ones oh, God. get to <laughs> never on track. Maybe I have to say I did take a lot more notice of this this time, and I'm so I'm very fascinated to see what happens here. I'm going to say, and this will be so good if we get a match here, but we won't because we all suck. Because I'm here. (laughs) The illiterate Ben is here. (laughs) I'm going to say I got 19 kills. I got 18. Oh. Oh, I got 22. uh, (laughs) Ben, you always get 22. <laughs> you count Bond killing Aki because he rolled over in his sleep. <laughs> I have to no, say. Did you write down the ones that you got? Uh, no. <laughs> okay. But I, I have thought... to say, I was feeling very confident this week compared to past four weeks. I'll just say okay. the average is 19.6 if we average it out. <laughs> so that point six is Aki. <laughs> yes, I... Go, Colin. I have uh, the, the one in the fight scene. Um, the in the office before yeah, uh, the first one. Couch, the guy who didn't want to catch Scottish. Um, <laughs> in the dock chase, I counted him killing three people. I uh, counted four in wait. the helicopter. Most of them he yeah. was just sort of punching, but there were like three that he shot. Yeah, but on the rooftop there was no one. What do you mean? No kills on the rooftop at the dock. It was all on ground. Yeah. Yeah, and I got three that he killed on there. Yeah. Okay, so then I had four in the helicopter because I looked and there was only ever one person in each helicopter. Yeah, and then there's the guy that he kills after he poisons Aki. (laughs) Yeah, the ninja, yeah. Yeah, and then during the entire end fight, I counted eight people he killed. Did you count hands? Yes. How many people via grenade? The one? I don't know. I I didn't. I just counted the people he killed. I thought there was the grenade one. Yeah, he, he um, lost about three or four in a grenade. Four people. No, I think there was like maybe two in it, but no, it was more than two. Yeah, I thought it was about three or four. No, I I, I may have counted. Oh no, wait, hold on. I'm trying to remember right now. I was it okay? I've got here that I had two people killed, and then it jumped to five, so it would have been three that I had for there. Hmm. <laughs> I have to Do we go with Colin because he's got the actual numbers. See, if you guys took notes, this wouldn't be so hard. I, I take notes. I just, I just tally the deaths. I just type oh, stroke, stroke, number, number. Look, all I'm going to say is I was pretty confident this week, but I'm willing to give up my pride and go with yours, but I think it's nice. Oh, with mine? Oh, No, definitely not with yours, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not Ben's. I have to say, I think I've got it this week, but if we want to go with 18, I'm happy to do that. And next I'm... time, keep proper notes, Noah. Well, I, I'm think, happy I honestly Colin. think it's 19. I don't think I would have added one on there. Well, 19's the average, but I'm happy to go with Colin. Well, here's the thing. You were 18, Colin, <laughs> but I definitely didn't add kills. So, well, what did I, I, I do just then? named them to you, though. <laughs> but what are you saying, though, that I add kills? I'll be bored. <laughs> no, you oh, got 22. <laughs> definitely wasn't I 20. saw what I saw, okay? Uh, I'm putting 18 down. Are we happy with 18? You're not Noah Colonies. I am. All right, stiff shit. All right. Uh, so, <laughs> total then after five movies. So, with 18, that brings it up to 76 kills. <laughs> um, 
a fucking murderous prick. When, um, does this, when does this cross the threshold where Bond stops being a th- serial killer and starts committing genocide? A <laughs> hundred or more. Uh, <laughs> I think we have to now, in our decades, one see which decade he kills the most people. <laughs> um, four kiss kisses. Uh, so that brings him up to 16. Uh, with the one martini, brings him up to four. And still only the two Bond James Bonds. Yeah, not oh. too much on the martinis and the James Bonds. But he was, yeah. he was supposed to be dead, so of course he wouldn't be saying it in this film. <laughs> dead. Uh, James, dead. Uh, yeah, what, what did he go by? Uh, Fisher. Mr. Fisher. <laughs> um, so let's get into the scene hall of fame then. Blofeld. Introduction. Yes. It's in there. I don't care. It's in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to put Little Nelly up there. It's so iconic. The theme music playing it. It's just a great prop. Uh, we can debate that, but I think Little Nelly needs to be there. Uh, look, I don't particularly like the scene, but I would say it's got to be up there. Well, I, I made my case earlier. I think the scene doesn't work in the context of the movie, but the scene on its own is incredible, and uh, it deserves props because it's one of the few scenes in this movie that I actually care about. So. Let's go with it. It's kind of like the jetpack in Thunderball that, like, yeah. yeah, you've got to have it in there. So then, third one, suggestion? <laughs> the, well, I would bird, say... the bear hair tree, the bush, the chest hair. <laughs> <Probably. laughs> <Probably. laughs> the bird making the nest in the tree. <laughs> yes. Uh, like, I would love to put up something just as a joke because uh, it would be great to do, but I don't think you can top the ninja's fight in the volcano and uh nothing in this movie i mean the, I, I don't think you could find even the biggest complainers about you live twice in which i'm probably part of that group who can say anything bad about that i mean that is like the peak of the james bond franchise as far as action seats go my other suggestion would be uh the death of aki but i'm more than happy to have volcano battle up there the only thing i'm weary is that we don't want to put the climax battles for every single film into the hall well, of fame but this one let's be amazing. honest when we get to like diamonds are forever and live and let die it's not like they really compare to ninjas in a volcano <laughs> yeah i think ninjas in a volcano sells itself yeah i'm, I'm completely happy with that yeah so there's right. our three Yep, so Blofeld intro, Little Nelly, and Volcano fight ninjas in a volcano. Yep. <laughs> All right, let's get on, and I'm very fascinated to see how this will go um, into our rankings. Um, and I'm going to say, for me, it was always going to be a battle between Thunderbolt and this for bottom spot, because the original trilogy is just too good. I'm going to say that You Only Live Twice ends up in fourth place, which means I've got From Russia With Love, Goldfinger, Dr. No, You Only Live Twice, and in fifth place, Thunderball. Ben Waterworth. is a great Bond movie. It's one of my favourites. Um, I will say quickly that we all have, coming into this now, different rankings. We had the same, and we're all over the place now. I am exactly the same as you, Noah. I was tossing this up between Thunderball and for the pure fun factor that I sold it on before, um, I am actually going to be completely different. I'm going to put it in number three. What? Ahead of, ahead of Dr. No! no! <laughs> I told you, <laughs> told you coming into this that I wasn't a huge Dr. No uh, fan. So, well, it's yeah. all a matter of an opinion, but you're wrong. <laughs> 
I was honestly convinced that this would be the one that we'd all three put in dead last because the movie's a disaster and it doesn't make sense and Bond is Japanese and uh, it's die another day for the 60s. Oh, this I had a head of Thunderbolt. Number one, I'm putting it number one. I, oh, I... I think this is so far ahead of, or so far behind Thunderball. I mean, at this point, is no question for me. The first four movies, I believe, stand as like the the golden age of Bond, and then this is sort of the beginning of ridiculousness and and absurdity and just Bond getting lazy. So uh, it's dead last for me. I knew that was going to be fit for you. <laughs> so. Uh... Just, just for the record, do you do want to repeat what your lists are then, Ben? Uh, well, mine currently with five films: um, Goldfinger from Russia with love. You only live twice. Three blind <laughs> mice in a row. Thunderball. Yep. <laughs> Colin, <laughs> that was long. <laughs> yeah, you, I hear that a lot. Um. Yeah, I think mine, I'm not going to sing it because, well, uh, I don't want to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to go from Russia with Love, Goldfinger, Thunderball, Dr. No, and then You Only Live Twice. I wonder if we're ever going to have a match by the end, like, will our 17th place all be the same or something by the time this is all said and done? Well, I can automatically tell that both your bottom ones are going to be the same. <laughs> Maybe uh, not. Oh. Uh, yeah. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> do you hate Do you hate Die Another Day? Maybe. <laughs> oh, I miss Quarrel. All right. Oh, Quarrel. That is... But fuck Quarrel, because what are we about to get to? <laughs> yeah, forget Quarrel. Screw Quarrel, because we, next week, next episode, we have... On Her Majesty's Secret Service, not starring Sean Connery, starring the one, the only, the Australian, George Lazenby, he's here, finally, after five years of waiting. It's coming. Um, Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Yeah, so let's uh, just quickly tease up our thoughts. Um, I will just say I've been waiting for this. It's George Lazenby, the legend. Um, It's a great film. I'm very excited to talk and dive into it. It definitely tones down the silliness, and I always think that there's two kinds of Bond fans that exist. The ones who love uh, Majesties and the one who hate it, and I'm definitely on the love train. I think it's a great film, so definitely can't wait to rewatch this one after the absurdness of what we just talked about uh, tonight. So it's going to be great. Bring it on. I think this was the first non-Brosnan slash Dalton movie that I ever saw. This is the first sort of like old school Bond movie I watched. My dad was like, hey, this guy's Australian. you got to watch this. And probably the most, uh, out of all the 60s movies, probably the one I've seen the most. Um, it's, it's such a good film. And look, I feel we haven't talked up Lazenby as much as we promised we would in that very first episode, but trust me, we're about to do three hours of Lazenby talk. Um, there's nothing better that you can ever have in a podcast, but I mean, look, it is, it is, yeah, it is often regarded as one of the, the best Bond films of all time, if not the best. I mean, we said that about Goldfinger, but it, it really is such a great movie, and 
um, you know, as you said, no, we've had silliness, we've had, you know, fun with um, You Only Live Twice, and we're just about to get to such a, such a fucking fantastic movie with Lazenby galore. So bring it on. When I saw this movie, I'd seen quite a few Bond movies, but again, this is like 1999 and pre-internet, and you couldn't really just look up and find which ones were canon and which ones weren't. And I remember going to the video store and pretty much back to back, one day after the other, I got Never Say Never Again and Honor Majesty's Secret Service. And I was convinced that Never Say Never Again would have been a canon James Bond film because it had Sean Connery. And I remember not even being interested in Honor Majesty's Secret Service for a long time because it had a different guy. And I always heard that there was this battle of the Bond but didn't know anything about it. So I assumed this had nothing to do with the James Bond series because I couldn't even recognize the guy on the cover. I was so shocked, especially having heard some people's opinions of Honor Majesty's Secret Service, you know, that it wasn't that well-liked of a movie like about 15 years ago. The very first time I saw this movie, I thought, this is the greatest Bond movie I've ever seen. And I'm going to spoil my rankings here because still to this day, this is my all-time favorite James Bond movie. Nothing comes close. I was so lucky to see this in the theater last year and even compared to Goldfinger and Thunderball, which I also saw on big screen. I mean, this was just incredible and not a single, well, I'll have some complaints, but this movie just stands so far and above everything else. And anybody else who's still holding on to that hating Honor Majesty's Secret Service bandwagon, like jump off. This movie is amazing. Yeah, screw you, whoever you are. Um, you fucking Lazenby haters. Go back. Peter Travis. Oh. Um, <laughs> Peter yeah, Travis. Lazenby, Lazenby, Lazenby will be We're going to be coming into this with Team Lazenby t-shirts. So. <laughs> yeah, screw the Quantum of Solace shirts. Let's get on the <laughs> Lazenby um, Fuck the new Spectre movie. Re-release on Her Majesty's Secret Service. <laughs> yes, I pay to go and watch that. Um, all right, that's going to be great. Uh, but we should say, if you like this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. If we've even gotten iTunes, do we do that? Um, yes. We, uh, we do. We've <laughs> just been given word that we have iTunes. Um, Breaking news. <laughs> uh, leave a comment on our website. Subscribe on iTunes. Oh, yeah, we do have iTunes. Um, Twitter, <laughs> you can do that. You can Facebook if you want. Uh, we're not going to force you, but do it anyway. All that fun stuff. Um, and I will say, to wrap this up, my name has been Noah-san. My name has been, and well, still is, Ben. And um, I don't look like a pig. <laughs> <laughs> and my name is Colin. And stay away from me, otherwise you might catch some Scottish. And until next time, a big sayonara to everyone. And bring on Lazenby! Bring on Lazenby! 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 Welcome to Japan, Mr. Bond. Oh, that's a stir, not shaken. That was right. Perfect. James Bond, allow me to introduce myself. I am Ernst Stavro Blofeld. This is extortion. Extortion is my business. You take a wife. Is she pretty? (laughs) She has a face like a pig. To hell with that idea. Darling, I give you very best duck. Well, that'd be lovely. I have much, much better. Ninjas. Really? But Bond is dead. It wasn't all the newspapers. 
Yes, this is my second life. You only live twice, Mr. Bond. My friend, now you take your first civilized bath. Really? Well, I like the plumbing. Now I'm in no mood for your juvenile quips. Rule number one is never do anything for yourself when someone else can do it for you. Rule number two, in Japan, men always come first, women come second. Oh, the things I do for England. I love you. I love you. How do you feel about me? I love you. I'm glad we got that out of the way. Kill Bond, now! Well, at least he died on the job. He'd have wanted it this way. Bon appetit. I suppose you know what it is about you that fascinates him. It's the hair on your chest. Japanese men all have beautiful bare skin. Japanese proverbs say, bird never make nest in bare tree.